Hey, what's up, listener? You did a good thing right there by pressing play on this episode of the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Because we are talking to cartoonist Greg Shegel. Greg's got a new book coming out from Image Comics called Picks One Weirdest Weekend. And we had a great conversation. Greg's awesome. I can't wait for you to meet him because we geeked out about everything from self-publishing, working at Marvel, SpongeBob Comics, podcasting, and a whole bunch more. Let's check it out. Check. Check one. All right. This is really fans out there. Let's give it up. Chop it. Be heard it. Be funny. Disturb it. Chop it. Be heard it. Spoiler alert. Oh yeah, Jockin' and Nerdin'. What's up, listener? Welcome. Welcome to the Jock and Nerd Podcast. My name is Imran, also known as the nerd of the aforementioned Jock and Nerd Podcast. My co-host, Anthony the Jock, ah, he's sadly, he's not with us today. Bro, do you even podcast? But never fear, because Rug Boy is here. What's up, Rugs? How's it going? What's up, dude? Uh, how you doing, Rugs? Thanks for uh, filling in for Anthony on this awesome episode. We have a, a great interview. But if you are a first-time listener, I just want you to know that this is the Jock and Nerd Podcast, where we geek out about comic book and superhero movie and TV-related stuff. We're going to give you news, right. reviews, in interviews, and this episode is the latter. We had an awesome time talking to cartoonist Greg Shegel, who's got a book coming out from Image Comics uh, this week, February 22nd, called Picks. Uh, and it was a great time. Uh, Rugs, you know you know me. I love geeking out about like cartooning and the comic book industry and the actual creative process. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. We haven't done an interview in a long time. So it was nice. And uh, the last time we did an interview was with Floyd Norman, right? Yes. Or was yes. It, that, and did I miss something? No, that, that, I think that was like our big, uh, that was the last great interview. And again, that was you and me. Look, Anthony, he doesn't, uh, he, he likes geeking out about the stuff, but not really how the stuff is made. So we are creators and we have to support the independent creator. So uh, I got a shout out to our buddy, Scott Weinstein, who, uh, right. yeah, he was on our show. We had a great show with him. Episode 33. Uh, works at Saturday Night Live. He's been working there for like over 15 years. And he's the one that hooked us up with Greg. Scott also gave us Todd DeZagel. Geek Boner. Which was also a great episode. So thanks to Scott, uh, buddy. Yeah, dude. Yeah, for hooking us up with Greg. Because Greg was awesome. So listen, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things. I want you to check out Greg's work. Everything we talk about is going to be in the show notes. Jockinder.com slash 153. And make sure you check it out. Uh, he's got podcasts. He's got a whole publishing site. He's got his website up there. I mean, his comic book. Uh, you can read the first chapter. It's a lot of fun. Uh, before we get to the interview, though, we're going to take care of some housekeeping because it's like not our usual format. So I want to tell you, listener, if you want to get in touch with the show, you want to interact, just visit jockinner.com slash contact. It's got our Twitter link to our Twitter page, our Facebook page, our speak pipe. You can send your voice. We'll play it in the show. You can be a part of the show. Uh, and, of course, you can find this show everywhere. You can go to our website, jockandnerd.com, click play. You can find us in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, on TuneIn, iHeartRadio. We have a YouTube channel. 
Player FM. But I, w- I just want to ask you, listener, if you like what you hear, I want you to do one thing for me that's really going to help us out, and that's subscribe in iTunes. Okay? Just visit jockandnerd.com slash review. Listen wherever you want. But just subscribe, click it, and forget it because uh, iTunes algorithm looks at subscriptions, and that's going to help the show, like, rise to the top and get better exposure and put it up higher for more people to get it. So it would greatly help us out. Just click subscribe uh, and then just forget about it. You don't have to listen. You can set it to not download. We just need the subscription. But if you want to be extra nice, you can also give us a rating and reviewing right there. Jockinair.com slash review. Right, Rugs? They should definitely do it. Yeah, get on that shit, guys. Come on. And by the end of the show, if you don't want to subscribe, uh, I'll be surprised because that's the power of the podcast. The show will come to you. You won't have to do anything anymore. Every week, you'll get a little bit of geeky audio goodness uh, like you're about to hear right now. So let's get to our awesome conversation with cartoonist Greg Sheagle. Bukagi! The Jock and Ned Podcast. Joining us right now, listener, on the Jock and Nerd Podcast is cartoonist, writer, self-publisher, and podcaster, Greg Sheagle. Greg's worked as a penciler and assistant editor at Marvel Comics, character artist for Nickelodeon Consumer Products. Uh, He's illustrated a bunch of licensed storybooks. He's a regular contributor to SpongeBob Comics. And in 2014, he self-published his own book under his Hatter Entertainment imprint, Pix, One Weirdest Weekend, which is now being published... By Image Comics. Geek Booner. In addition to doing comics, Greg's produced and hosts the comic-centric podcast Stuff Said and the Tom Cruise movie-centric podcast Cruising Together. Greg, you do a lot of stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show, babe. (laughs) It sounds so impressive when it is read back to me. That's why I love doing these intros because, like, once you hear, people don't realize all the stuff they do until they hear someone else just, like, list it out. You know, there's a bunch of, you know, you get asked like, hey, can you send the bio for, if you're doing a con or something, you get asked to send your bio in. So you, you know, you write this bio and you feel like you're bragging, right. you're like you're trying to, you know, this whole, but then like, then it's read back. You're like, wow, that's, a, that's quite a I bit. I actually did all that stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I did a lot of stuff. I'm an old man. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for being here. And thanks to our buddy, uh, Scott Weinstein, uh, for hooking us yep. up. Uh, cause Scott was on the show and he works on Saturday Night Live and, uh, if you listen to that show, listener, you had a lot of great behind-the-scenes stories. How do you know Scott? I know Scott, so it's a it's twofold. One was uh, my cousin was the receptionist at SNL for one season. Okay, and he said, and he was like, "Oh, there's a guy here that is really into comics." I told him what you do, and then I met Scott at I think it was probably Heroes Con. It might have been a New York Comic Con because he. Uh, is pals with Todd DeZago yep. and Craig Russo. And yep. I know those guys and it just sort of became a whole, Hey, look, we all now know each other kind of a thing. Yeah. And like, it's really cool for our show. Like we had Scott who, and he also hooked us up with Todd. And so we had Todd on the show and Todd is so great. He was like telling us ghost yeah. stories that literally scared the crap out of him. Todd is great. And he's, he does have tremendous stories. And uh, yeah, I've had, I've had a few meals with Todd and he's, he's a delight. And he's a great guy to, to geek out with over uh, SNL stuff because yeah. he, he knows his stuff. And it's 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 fun to have those conversations. And plus, he wrote Spider-Man and uh, you worked on Spider-Man, too. So let's just get to why you're here first. You got this book coming out, Picks, Volume 1, One Weirdest Weekend. It's coming out this week from Image Comics. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, that that's awesome. 
it 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 is uh it's it is kind of awesome yeah it's it's this weird thing where so i self-published it two years ago okay and now it's you know it's it's a new edition coming from image comics it's ostensibly the same book there's some bonus pages in the back now and it's just going to be seen by so many more people that that in and of itself is like this is it sort of helped it become exciting again you know because you're, you're yeah. it's the same book yeah so you kind of have yeah. to, like all right what's what's exciting it's like oh thousands of more people are going to see this thing the original self-published version i printed 1500 copies oh, oh wow. so you did it in print uh, basically yeah 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 i, I did though i went old school i printed them i shipped them i had i went the whole i went the distance and you didn't even like you didn't like crowdfund this either did you nope yeah dude you did I, it the hard way jesus i did it the hard way I saved my money i uh i took you know eight months of of time to put the book together and research paper and printing and the whole nine yards yeah it's it's money i'll never make back <laughs> well maybe now That's with the comic uh, you business. know that's the yes. well, and I liken it a lot to like independent bands. Like, what does that feel like when now it's the same book that you've had, but now it says image on it? Much like bands, you know, they're gigging and they got a whole bunch of songs that they've done forever and they put it out themselves, and then like a label picks them up, and now uh, everyone, you know, they get a bigger exposure. How does that feel like this thing, your baby, and now it says image comics on it? Well, it's it's the image logo is is pretty sweet. Uh, what's cooler though is so. I've talked about this, I don't remember where, but there's, you know, you, you do self-publishing and you can basically do everything yourself at a certain point. If you can write and draw and do the technical stuff, you're in complete control of the process Yeah. until it's out of your hands and you need people to buy it and pay attention. And that's where you have to rely on somebody else to give a crap. Absolutely. That is the hardest part. Yeah. That's the hardest part by far. So almost better than having the image eye on the book Yeah. is having... Just the association with image because then people pay attention. Well, how did that happen? The whole image thing. I've known, I've known people at image for geez, uh, many years at this point, I'm going to say at least probably eight or so years. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and I've just known them for a long time. And at a certain point when I was working on book two, which I'm working on as we speak, I'm coloring, uh, yeah, I started pricing out, how much is going to cost to print? How much is going to cost to ship? And it's a, uh, it's a bigger book than the first book. And the math got a little scary. <laughs> and I thought, all right, do I, do I crowdfund? Do I like, what do I do to sort of supplant what I'm trying to do here? And then I was having conversations with some other people and they pointed out, not that I wasn't paying attention, but I wasn't paying enough attention to what image had done in the all ages kids comics market lately, yeah. particularly a book like uh, camp midnight, uh, which had, you know, a, a bigger penetration into the kids market than you typically get from an image comic thing. And it sort of just, you know, made my brain go, you know, that, that sort of record scratch sound yeah. where you think like, okay, wait, maybe, maybe I should, I should consider talking to those guys. Cause maybe there's an opportunity here for everybody to get on the same, on the same page. I'd heard that image was interested in doing more kids stuff. So I basically reached out and said, Hey, I hear, that you guys want to do more kid stuff. I have this book. I'm almost done with the second book. The first book is I self-published it, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we were off to the races. I think it was a, a nice sort of bit of timing. And Wow. So like an opportunity for like the itself. And then they, and they jumped on it and here we are. That's yeah. I mean, it all happened pretty quickly. And I think part of that is that I have, you know, I've been in the comics business for a bunch of years and I, I just, I know, these guys and gals 
and was able to, you know, get an ear and say, here's what I have. Here's what I'm offering. What do you guys think? Are you interested? And, uh, the answer was yes. And I was like, sweet. Wow. Dude. That's like, awesome. Yeah. You, you wish you had thought of it earlier, right? You know? <laughs> well, again, so when I did the first book, that was 20, you know, I started working on it in 2013 and published wow. it at the end of 2014. Yeah. So at that point, you know, the market has changed even within four years and image has changed in that time. So I think even at 2013, I, I looked at image and I'm like, I don't know if they're the place that's going to be the best spot for a kid's book. You know, at that point it's, it's, it's walking dead. It's, they were, they were making huge headway in the direct market, Yeah, but the kid's market is a different animal and, and they are, they are better equipped now than they were three years ago. Hmm. Not that they weren't equipped three years ago, but it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's the market changes and you kind of, you pay, when you pay enough attention, you start going, okay, they've got mechanics in place now where they're going to get this book into schools and libraries and, and the places where kids are. We're going to read this stuff. It's so smart for them because they, you have a finished product you're bringing them. You know, you know, they don't have to worry about anything. And I've loved how Image has pivoted. Like, this is the company that started with like Savage Dragon and Spawn and over the top superhero books. And now they're putting out some of the most like awesome adult uh, sci fi fantasy, all different uh, genres. And uh, they're growing and, you know, giving the big two a run for their money. Well, it's pretty cool. The advantage that they have is that. A lot of this stuff comes from being creator owned and yes. that's a whole different yes. animal because Marvel and DC are such corporate beasts now and uh, everything's done from the top down. It's, it's, it's different when you, it comes from a personal place and you're able to get someone who's like, you know, they're not trying to fit a demographic. They're just trying to tell their story. Yeah. And, and, and I think you, you do get, you know, if, if you've been reading comics a long time, you know, you, you get on that, that, that Ferris wheel of, you know, here's, here's this story and that the illusion of change, but no actual change. So they yeah. keep ramping things yeah. up, yeah. Uh, which is all well and good. But at a certain point you, you start reading something like invincible and you go, Oh, stuff really changes. Like this yeah. is, there's, this there's is stakes like stakes and consequences yeah. and yeah, people die and stay dead. That's, yes. you know, sometimes that <laughs> <Yeah>. matters, <laughs> which, which gets into a whole other conversation about just, you know, what is happening with, with mainstream comics and who are they for? And yeah. That. And that, you know what? And that's something I want to know your opinion, but before we get there, I want to turn the listener on to this book picks because look, you say oh, yeah. all ages book, kids book. And a lot of people, like, I still think it has that stigma of like, Oh, it's not for me, but you shared the uh, volume one with uh, myself and rock boy. And we read it. And I gotta say, what a fun book, a great read. Uh, and great characters, great dialogue. I really, it's not what I expected. Like, it's a kid's book, but it's not just for kids. What did you expect? I Thank you very much. But yeah. now I'm curious what you expected. Well, I don't know. Like, because the book <laughs> is about, you know, the, the quick synopsis was like this girl, you know, who thinks she's a fairy, a teenage superhero, thinks she's a fairy princess. And uh, I I just thought it would be more. And then I read, you know, you, you do SpongeBob comics. So I'm like, huh, yeah. okay, maybe it's that kind of thing. <laughs> But this was more a, a mashup of like great stuff uh, that you you grew up reading as kids, you know. And I you really get the sense uh, the pacing is great. Like it could be like a, a a TV show. Like you have such a great uh, the I was flipping the pages. I actually read half of it, and then it was real late at night, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to bed. I sat down, watched some TV, and then I was like, you know what? I, I gotta find out what happens. So I went back and I read the rest of the book. That's uh, awesome. Thank you. Me. 
Yeah. Rugs, what'd you think of uh, Picks Volume it 1? Was, one weirdest weekend. It was interesting because I I had no idea what was being sent to me. I just opened it up right. and just started going. <laughs> yeah. Going to town. And um, it. I looked at the I, I always look at the art first, okay? Because I, I, sure. I'm kind of artistic-minded. So, like, I look at the art and I'm like, oh, this kind of, like, reminds me of an animated TV show. Or something like yeah, that with like yeah. Archie comics or something like yes. that has an animated flair to it. And so that automatically got me into the mindset of something that's kind of like that I could watch on the Disney Channel or something like that. And I was like, thought it was cool. It was edgy. And uh, there was all kinds of different genres kind of being crossed over. And it was a good mix of stuff. And there's still like there's an air of mystery to it still. Like that, we know that there's more there because of the stepfather and what he said at the end. So. Um, right. So there's still like a mystery there that's, that's that's going to be solved, but it was a lot of fun. Like, a little kid could read this and have a, have a ball with it. So you guys are making me blush. Thank you very much. Oh my much. god! No, it's so good. I love like this is the kind of fantasy I like where it's it's real, it's grounded in reality, and then it just gets a little crazy. It gets a little <laughs> tweaky, you know. And uh, you're just like, what the hell is going on? Because you know, you sometimes when you let your mind just daydream, I you know, I have a weird imagination, and I'm like. What if all these things came to life and started attacking me? What would I do? And it's right. like, that's what happens in this book. So for the listener, Greg, give us the, what is your uh, convention table pitch? So the convention table pitch is, uh, yeah, Pix is a, a teenage superhero who believes that she is a fairy princess. Uh, in, in book one, it is very monster of the week. So in every chapter, there's, there's a new sort of threat or weird thing that happens to her. Uh, I've described it as... Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Alice Wonderland in Riverdale. Yes, uh, I've also described it as if the if Spider Man was a was a Disney princess. Yeah, I love all those mashups. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it is. It's it's you know clean fantasy stuff. Like not it's not high fantasy by any means. I have no real patience for high fantasy stuff. So it's it's more fairy tales and fantasy, and then superheroes the way I remember them and feel about them. So they're they're you know, big brassy adventure stories. There's no secret identity, but there's still the tropes are there because the, the parents are, you know, she's sort of not quite sneaking around, but trying to do the good thing, but then still be a regular kid. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, I read superheroes from when I was a very young kid and I have a very uh, specific concept of, of what I like from my superheroes. And I like them to be uh, good and superheroic and use their superpowers a lot. So I tried to do that as much as possible uh, in the first book. And then curiously in the second book, which comes out in May, uh, she decides that she might be causing more problems than good with her superheroing and quits being a superhero. Ah, classic Spider-Man oh. Peter Parker. Yeah. It's a classic <laughs> second act and uh, things. And she tries to be a normal kid, tries to, to behave and act like a normal kid. And uh, of course it doesn't work out. Because so that then, would be a yeah. boring comic book. No, of course. That, but then in the third book, she has to fight her evil doppelganger or something. Yeah. That's how that works. Uh, it, is, it is not a doppelganger, but uh, enough happens in book two that book three gets set up uh, pretty pretty well. Hmm. Uh, I mean, this book has great characters, great twists. It, it's got everything from like a shrinking adventure, a, a killer magic eight ball, then a, a monkey fighting a bear and talking animals. Like, oh, it's so much fun. And, uh, yeah, all those, uh, it was like watching a cartoon. It was like reading a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, and, uh, I, re I really enjoyed it. So awesome. That's, those uh, are all, I like all of those descriptions. There was a, there was a show, 
I don't know how long ago it was. It was it was a Batman the Brave and the Bold. Did you ever watch that? Yes. Oh, I love that one. It had the best Aquaman I've ever seen on TV. So that show was almost as pitch perfect as you can get. Like everything yeah. about it was just spot on. So that and then like something like Zombieland, where it's just the the pitch on it is perfect and it's it's a nice mix of action and humor and real stakes and all that stuff. Like that's what I'm, I I'm always striving for with whatever I'm doing is like, make it, make it count. Even if it's no matter who it's for, you want it, you want it to sell on those, those points of order. So you want it to have an emotional stake. You want it to have a, maybe a, a sense of humor about itself. You want it to feel like the genre you're, you're playing in and then just, you know, try and do it the best you can and hope, hope folks like it uh, without sounding too uh, self-aggrandizing. I mean, and it's great that it's a a female a female lead. How so? Where did this? Uh, well, you kind of explained where did it come from, but where did the final design and the look from Pix come out of? How did you get there? Uh, a lot of sketching, a lot of so. Originally, Pix started out as uh, a pitch for. So I used to work at Marvel Comics, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more. Yes. Uh, uh, and when I when I left Marvel, I started pitching stories for a bunch of stuff over there, and one of them was taking a Marvel character and, and sort of doing my take on it. And it was a lot of the, the stuff that end up in picks was in that pitch, but nobody was particularly interested in doing a teenage superhero girl over at Marvel back in Oh two, Oh three, Oh four. So eventually I just, a, a good friend of mine said, you know, this is good stuff. Why don't you just turn it into something else? Like if, if Marvel is not interested in it, it doesn't have to be this character. You've changed the character enough that it's not even the original thing. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. And I, yeah. you know, move some, move some pieces on the board around, uh, found the fairy princess angle, which wasn't there originally. and basically kept the bones of the, of a lot of the structure of the story. So the eight ball and the talking animals, that was always a thing I wanted to do. Uh, and then I was like, okay, I got to design this costume. And I knew it started with uh, a cape that looked like fairy wings. Like that was that was sort of the key design component. Oh, so that's I wanted. not even actual wings. It just looks like fairy wings. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I wanted it to to be you know when you look at it at first glance, like oh look that's a fairy princess. But then you go oh wait if you see it from behind, yeah, it's it's attached at the neck and it's it is a cape. It's just cloth. Greg, I think you were ahead of your time because when I read pics, it reminded me of what they're doing with Squirrel Girl a little bit right now. Well, at the risk of sounding like a total egomaniac, I've been ahead of my time for a really long time. (laughs) I was ahead of my time before I was ahead of my time. And like that new, they also, the Hellcat book is very cartoony now, you know? There are things I see happening places where I'm just like, oh, I wanted to do something like that in 1999. Oh my God. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm to the choir. Yeah. I've been very (laughs) accustomed to seeing things that I thought of uh, a long time ago. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that happens to other people because I thought it was just me. We're like, hey, I had that idea. Somebody had it. But look, so you can read. Do you still have the first uh, like the first chapter of Picks is online at PicsComic.com? Yes. So listener, go read that. And then it's coming out this week. Pick it up. You're really going to love this book. Uh, or if you uh, recommend it, you have friends who have kids. Uh, what age range do you think this is the best for that you would suggest this to? Uh, I say nine to 14 is, is the general range I give. Uh, the sweet spot is probably 10 to 12. That would, that would be my, that's the math I'd put on it. 
And I, I actually do need to talk to Image about seeing about getting Chapter One up on Comicsology for free because I think we want to do that. And I just oh, wanna that's a great idea. Yeah, go through that process of of putting that together. And I think it shouldn't be a problem. But I, my plan is to start releasing Chapter One of Book Two, a page a day, in March. Wow, that's great! So you're going to do a little web comic uh, strategy with that one? Yeah, because that's that's going to be it's going to be in previews in March. So I figure if I start releasing a page a day uh, by the end of the chapter one, it'll be time for orders to go in, and everybody can say, "Oh, I just read the first chapter." And yeah, it's a good plan. It, like it's a great one-two punch where you got this one coming out this week, and then volume two in May. Like very good timing, and even though you, you've been sitting on volume one and now you're finishing up volume two uh that i love that strategy also yeah no that that has worked out pretty well and volume two comes out the wednesday before free comic book day so it's timing on it is yeah pretty solid uh, assuming i don't blow this deadline which i don't intend to do (laughs) and it's it's longer isn't it like this one was uh 128 pages volume one yes awesome content yeah book one is 128 pages i think it's 109 like gut story pages. Uh, book two is a 200 page book. Wow. Oh, shit. That yeah. is awesome. With uh, oh. 100 and, uh, 177 story pages. Wait, so how long? So 200 pages, 177 story pages. How long does it take you to, to do from, from start to finish? You know, I was thinking about this recently. I need to go back into, so I do a monthly uh, email blast thing okay. and, I, and I've yeah. been keeping track of progress yes. every month. I'm like, here's where I'm at guys. Here's where yeah. I'm at. And I'm trying to remember when I declared, all right, the book is now officially written. I'm going to start drawing. Yeah. It might have been like April of last year, maybe. Wow. Wow. Maybe. I can't remember. I have to double, but I wrote five drafts of this book. Oh, wow. So it took a while to get it to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start drawing because my strategy was I wanted the whole thing scripted and, and I want to know where all the balloons were going to go before I started drawing anything. So you had to write, yeah, you needed the whole thing written before yeah. you can even, that's, that's good. Do people do some, I guess some people would just kind of work uh, where they would just kind of wing it towards the end. <laughs> well, that's sort of what I did with book one, book one, oh, I yeah. lettered, I, you know, book one, I did uh, almost what you would call Marvel style, uh, but on my own. So I, I penciled the whole thing and then I went and started scripting it and then inking and, and just doing that whole process. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to write the whole thing at once, I can really actually write the whole thing at once. Yeah. Just line everything up and make sure the balloons are right where I want them. And then I, yeah, I work digitally, but I basically treat it analog. So this book I have quote unquote lettered on the boards. So the balloons are part of the art. Uh, the lettering is digital, but it's all part of the art. So I'm treating okay. it as if it's, you know, 1986 and I'm just doing a comic book. So yeah, like as I'm coloring, you know, the balloons are there. They're not a, they're not an illustrator file. Once the balloons are down, you gotta, now you gotta work around, you're working around them. Yeah. You're but working since, with them. Right. Yeah. Since I wrote the wow. whole thing, uh, you know, in one big swoop, I know where the balloons are and they're not, they're not in the way they're designed intentionally to be where they're supposed to be. That's yeah, crazy. No, I don't you, know that yeah. many people that do it that way. You typically don't because, you know, right. you, you, when you do things digitally and you have your balloons as a, as a separate file, you can move them around. You can, do that there's more room for changes on the fly yeah uh but ideally you know it's it's almost like uh i've never made a movie but i know the terminology because i've watched project uh, Greenlight. yeah you know i'm on script you know script lock right the script is locked and now we're we're shooting yeah 
and then it's going to be picture lock. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, approach working old school, but working digitally, but with an old school process, because it really just forces you to, you know, think of your composition, think of your storytelling and like, ah, it's great. The pacing is great. Uh, It has a very cinematic feel. And let's not forget, like this is it's full color. So you are the writer, the penciler, the inker, the colorist, the letterer. Yeah, the uh, publisher at one point. The publisher, too. That's awesome, man. This whole book is you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from, uh, from the, from the root to the fruit as uh, some might now, say. Can I ask a question? Yes, go rugs. I, I don't know where you're going to go, but like I, I have, he's talking, he's telling me that he's doing all this stuff and he's everything he's doing. So I'm wondering, is there more in the tank? Do you have other ideas? Like you have one property that you got out there. Do you have more or are you like a boundless, you know, well of, of ideas or uh, is or are is this like your 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 opus? This is not my opus. I have I have too many. I am I am a classic case of too many ideas, uh, not enough time. All this stuff takes too long. I, I you know there are moments where I'm like oh, I should just come up with a way to draw that's faster or simpler <laughs> or you know work more cartoony or something because it all takes you know I okay so I'll give you a perfect example. So I'm coloring the book two now. And I, I color trees a very specific way. So I, I lay okay. in a color and then I go yeah. in and just use a bunch of co- sort of quick lines to give the a texture of a tree. It's not yes. painterly by any means, but it's not just, you know, boing, boing, boing and, and shading a tree. Right. My partner's like, why am I, why have I done this? Like, why didn't <laughs> I just shade this simple? It would have been so much easier. You know, that kind of thinking starts yeah. kicking in my brain because I'm like, oh, well, everything takes so long. Oh, I see that. And even in the first book, you have like a shadow and then you got a highlight on the tree when, uh, you know, you really could have just uh, made yeah. it one thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can totally tell that there's more there to the artist than what's on the page. Yeah. You can tell that you're holding, you're going for a style and you're holding it into this. In, you're, you're kind of giving yourself these rules that you have to kind of abide by. Well, you know, you want uh, the characters to to not change their appearance throughout the book. You sort of, yeah. it's funny. Cause I, I've, you know, I've looked back at book one because when we sent it back to press, I sort of just went over it and fixed some typos and that sort of thing. Uh, but even looking at book two, I'm like, yeah, the characters have changed just slightly. Like some yeah. of the designs, some of the way I'm drawing them little tweaks here and there. I don't know that anybody else will notice it. Uh, but yeah, this is not, this is not my opus. It's a story I enjoy telling, but I have, various other stories and various stages of incompleteness. I think a lot of folks do. How many volumes? Of I find it you fascinating because like you have a person who has all these ideas. You're wondering which one do you choose to yeah. pursue? Yeah. And w- w- which one lands in a place where people are going to want to read it? Cause you have all these ideas. You don't know which one to actually focus on. And that's yeah. a crazy thing in itself of itself. Well, I, I can answer. So Imran, your question was how many volumes uh, yes. are there going to be? For the time being, I know there's three for sure. Uh, I have rough concepts for an additional two if it turns out that this thing becomes a, a smash success and it merits it. Yeah. Uh, but if it, if it lands at three and that's the story, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. It, it will reach a conclusion that will be very satisfying, I think. It's the ending that I've had in mind, although it is slightly changed, I will admit. <laughs> I've had an ending in mind and I came up with a bit like a month and a half ago, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good bit of business. Oh, this is good. It has slightly changed my ending a little bit. I have three volumes that tell the main story. And then I have some other sort of cute ideas that could become books, books zero and four. 
Right. Nice. Well, I like that you have like an endpoint and you're, you know, you're trying to be realistic about it. You're like, look, let's, let's just, you know, tell this story while I got the chance here. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of, you know, I have other things I want to get to and I, my brain has sort of changed as a guy who grew up reading monthly comics that went on forever and they were yeah. awesome to somebody yeah. that, that tends to think of what's the ending. I just write better when I know where the story's going. Yeah. Um, the idea of writing just to, you know, you know, I've, I've heard Mark Wade talk about, it and I talked to him a little bit about it. The, the idea that he just write himself a cliffhanger and see where it goes. Well, I, yeah, I can't do that. Like I need to really think about the whole thing and knowing, knowing the ending for me is, is key. Like there's a, there's an old house of pain song. Yeah. If I may. Yeah. Uh, where it's, uh, how do you know where you're going if you don't look back? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, how do you know where you're going if you don't have, like, you need a map. You need a destination. I like having Absolutely. a destination. Keeps Absolutely. I mean, there's the two, like, strategies. I, you know, the other way is a lot like the soap opera. Like, if you think of the soap opera, they're just making this shit up week by week. They know there's no ending, and they kind of do that. They give them, here's something crazy. Let's see what happens. But as a reader, when you read that stuff for so long, you're like, ah, I kind of wish they would just wrap this up. Well, it's funny because like all of this crazy shit happens and then it seems like it didn't matter. Like, yeah, a year yeah. Later. Yes. So, yeah. You want there, you want, it's funny because so some of the stuff in picks book one, like the crazy eight ball, yeah. like that, that stuff was stuff that I came up with sort of on like, yeah, I want to do this thing. This will be cool. It's a neat visual, blah, blah, blah. And in time, I've actually come up with some stuff that in book three, all that is going to start making sense. Oh, cool. I like, I can kind of see like you're setting up things and these things are more than just incidents oh, yeah, and they're going to be connected. I was the whole time. I was like, yeah. there's more to this. Well, yeah. when, it was, <laughs> when it was originally written, there was, was nothing no- more to it than <laughs> this is really cool and she fights it with a Q-tip. That's funny. Like that was it. And then uh, I, I came up with something like, wait a minute, this could actually, ooh, this all makes sense now. And it, it sort of pieced together much more sensibly for me. So, it, Well, yeah, because in the... In the, you know, for if you ever read it in the one part of the, she suddenly just shrinks for no reason and falls down a drain. Yeah. You're like, what? Okay. But you don't know why. Like, there's no explanation for why she shrinks and then she gets big again. You're like, huh, that was fun. But I had a feeling it's going to play in. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's going to yeah. play out. Yeah. It, was, it, it, it wasn't originally. Originally, it was a case of, hey, weird things happen. Like, yeah. A lot of know, weird things happen to her. Yeah. You know, in, in Goldilocks and Three Bears, the bears talk. There's no explanation as to why they talk. They just do. That's that's true. That's true. And you sort true. of go with it. So yeah. part of me likes the idea of sometimes you just you just go with what you're given. You're given you, you, you play in the reality that you are delivered. So I don't always like to explain everything, but I've come up with a thing that makes sense to me. So now it, it, it will make sense. But the original intent was this will be fun. Period. Uh, hard stop or period or whatever the phrase would be. You know, and we, we talk about that a lot on the show. We're big fans of like, look, set your rules, but then stick to the rules and play with the rules and break your rules, but at least have a consistent set of rules that this reality adheres to. Ideally, yes. You can do anything as long as you set some kind of rules to it that makes sense in your world. Yeah. And that's it. Like a lot of people, some people don't even do that at all. Well, I, I often point to the Wizard of Oz as maybe, uh, uh, one of the great examples of this more the movie because the the book is a little boring, but in the wizard of Oz. So going back to comics, we'll, we'll keep going back to like mainstream yeah. comics, but there's, yeah. you know, 
there's always this leveling up of what the threat is. What can you do to these characters to make them uh, really have to face? You know, everybody talks about Superman. What can you do with Superman? He's invulnerable to everything. Right. Yeah. And then I always say, make something up that he's not invulnerable to. Because yeah. in the in the Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch, her weakness is water. Like it's yeah. as simple as water. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't rain in Oz. I guess even not. even beyond that, <laughs> like for for us, water is is a non threat, right? Unless you're drowning. Absolutely, yeah. But in the reality of the Wizard of Oz, water is very dangerous to this character, and that's the way it works. Sort of like old, you know, the old Green Lantern. Yellow was his weakness, and as an adult, you can go, "That's silly." Yeah. But when you are 11 years old and you're yeah. reading a Green Lantern comic, you're like, "Oh crap! This guy's ring is yellow." That's his oh, weakness. He's in, right. he's in for trouble. That's yeah. why I love. I, yeah, I've always wanted to work in children's books just because you can set this whole world, this whole fantasy, and the kids buy in to everything, you know, and now you are running this fantasy. Well, you can yeah. arguably do that in grown up stuff, too, if you have grown ups right. that are willing to to play ball. I mean, you know, grown ups are willing to play ball and watch The Walking Dead and say, all right, this is how zombies work in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you start asking questions, then it starts, it all falls apart. Everything will fall yeah. apart if you start asking questions. I'm really bad at that because I do that way too much. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just not ask this question. But how come? Well, it's, it all depends on your point of perspective. If you really like something, if something connects with you, you will defend it to your last breath. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. If something doesn't catch you right, you're going to look for reasons not to like it. <laughs> and all you have to do is ask a couple of questions and there you go. Now yeah. you got a whole reason for not liking something. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's easy to pick certain things apart and and find uh, like a you know why does Batman wear his underwear on the outside? I mean, he doesn't anymore. Right. But and and I've always thought that the second you start, I haven't always thought this, but in the past maybe ten years, the second you ask that question is when you need to step away from Batman for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a break. Maybe read because, something uh, else. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 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 of the mindset that. It, anything goes in comics. There's, there's, or anything goes in, in storytelling. It's, I'm of a bunch of different mindsets, but I tend to be more, more often than not, I tend to be of the mindset that it's very possible. I could be wrong, but it's very possible that superheroes are maybe best for children. Hmm. Which is to say, and I use Aquaman as my example. So Aquaman is a character people love to make fun of, right? He's the right. biggest joke of them all. Yeah. When I was growing up, and I grew up in Florida, so maybe this has something to do with it. Aquaman's powers were amazing. <laughs> the idea that you could breathe underwater and talk to sea life is unbelievable. Sure. Yeah, you're surrounded by water. You're like, this would yeah. be great here. Yeah. So, as far as the second you start thinking, that's a silly power, Aquaman is not for you. Like, you're not the audience for Aquaman anymore. So, I think something like Aquaman, something like Wonder Woman, something like Hawkman, these are things that on their surface, even their goofiest, a, a nine-year-old or an eleven-year-old is not going to make ask these questions. They're not going to. It's just like, oh, that guy has wings on his back, and he hits yeah. things with a mace. That's amazing. Yeah. Full stop. Well, that, like and, and, that's it. Yeah. But the problem is, like, as we, we've grown up, the readers have grown up. Like, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, and uh, I've loved him growing up, reading reading him growing up, and it's kind of like you want him to grow up with you now. Right. You want some adult stories, but at the same time, you got to uh, address the new readers. Like you said, superheroes are inherently for children. 
which is why I think all these all ages books like these are getting really popular again because people have forgotten everything got so dark and gritty and they forgot the joy where everything comes from is the magic of being a kid and reading superhero comics. I think there's also a bit of, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk of, Oh, we got to break the toys. You got to break the toys to, and rebuild them to find new stories. And then right. I, I kind of think like, or just give the toys to people who want to play with them. Yes. So, so the end of toy story three, yeah. you know, everybody talks about the furnace part, but I think about the part where the kid uh, gives his toys to the little girl so she can play with them. Yes. And that is super moving. And uh, maybe I'm a giant sap, but no. yeah. like I see that and I'm like, that's what you do with this stuff. Like when you're, when you've gotten to the point where you want to break uh, the narrative of Batman and make it something new, you pass hand it, it to on. somebody that wants to tell Batman stories and then let okay. people that have not read Batman stories enjoy yes. Batman. But where do you that. define what Batman star stories are? Cause it's like, Batman has got such an illustrious, you know, career. He started out as this very serious, toned down uh, detective. And then in the 60s, he became kind of like this garish, you know, person, you know, yeah. this kind of detective. So which Batman is there? There's many iterations and then there's a lot of different ways you can you can take any character and like revamp them or reimagine them any way. So, yeah, I mean, Batman like- becomes a, a tricky one because he is so interpretive interpretable yeah yep. um, there's so many versions yeah and then there is the 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 uh the debate that people like to have over uh who's the mask is it bruce wayne or is it batman uh yeah uh which i have a i have a third option which is it's none of the above it's the guy who's what? in the cave yeah my theory is uh the real guy is when he's in the costume, but the cowl is down and he's talking to alfred in the cave that's the real that's guy. the real it's a little bit of both yeah that's, where uh, he, that's his safe space. Yeah. And everything else is some version of he either wants to scare people or make people think he's an idiot. That makes a lot of sense because if you think about that, you'd be like, look, I, I really love wearing this suit. I don't like the cowl so much, but I like having the suit on. This is the only place I can kick back. I don't like wearing, uh, you know, being without the suit. And then I don't like putting the full thing on when I'm in public. I mean, that's, that's the room where the, you know, that guy knows who he is when he's not wearing the yes. costume. That guy knows yes. his origin story. Like he's the person he trusts the most, the people in that cave. When right. he's in that cave, he's himself. When he's out of that cave, he's some version of something. It's so funny. Cause that would have been the, like the Ben Affleck, if he remained directing the movie that when he was directing, that's what he would have been that bad man. Cause he would still have to put the suit on. He's like, let me just take this yeah. top off and finish the shot. I mean, I think but, that's arguably the Batman you get in Batman animated series. Like he's, yeah, yeah. when he's Batman, he's doing that voice. When he's Bruce Wayne, he's doing a voice. And when he's in the cave, he sounds like a third thing. Ah, that's interesting. I love that. I've never heard anybody uh, look at it that way. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. Hey, thanks. How, uh, how important is this all ages market? Do you see this uh, getting bigger and blowing up or was it always there? I, I think know. it's always been there in some, I think the, I think the, the, the kids market is more recently in the past 10 years discovering comics or as they call yes. them graphic novels. And I think that's tremendous, you know, according to things I've read, it is the one area of publishing that is an actual growing market Wow! in the, in the publishing, like outside of the direct market comics world is kids graphic or just graphic novels in general. Yeah. Uh, the world has woken up to these things and is sort of, you know, paying attention, whether it's the walking dead or a uh, Raina Telgemeier's books or whatever, like these books are making 
headway. I know, you know, I go to these library conventions and speak to librarians and they love them because kids read them. Sure. And, sure. you know, a thing that a kid is going to read, a librarian is going to engage with and say, let's get more of these for these kids to read. And kids like them. And, you know, and it's not all superhero stuff like outside of the direct market, which makes it interesting scenario for me because I am doing a superhero thing. But, yeah. you know, the popular genres outside of that are memoirs or uh, fantasy stuff, uh, you know, bone being a, an example, there's a series called amulet. That's very popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these aren't superhero stories. These are fantasy stories. Well, like, or, and like March, you have autobiographical March was huge. Uh, yeah, on the New York times bestseller list. March, yeah. uh, all of Raina Telgemeier's books are biographical or, or semi autobiographical. There's a book called El Defo. That's really good about a woman who, uh, her, talking about her youth when, as she went deaf as a child. It's really wow. good. Wow. It's actually, it's, it's really, it's a very charming book because she does a thing with uh, word balloons. That's as she's losing her hearing, the lettering yeah. starts to fade. Yeah. Wow. You know, like, yeah, that's something comics can do that nobody else can pull off. They, uh, Matt, I think Matt Fraction did that in the uh, Hawkeye, his last Hawkeye series there. Cause that Clint is, had hearing damage. And then there was one issue that was told from the point of view of the dog, all right. in, uh, icons and I draw. Oh, so good. And it was so well done and you could follow it. And, and you know, the way, even those word balloons, like he would get one word and then it would all be gibberish. Right. But, uh, I, I love that. That series was so great. And that was like a very much an indie book. It was surprising that it came from Marvel. Yeah. That, that was an interesting book only because it's, it's very much not like it, it, it takes all the superhero out of a superhero. Yeah. So yeah. it becomes an interesting uh, it, it's a good book, but is it Hawkeye? Like I've heard a lot of people describe it as like, oh, he's doing the Rockford Files. It's like, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's, why'd you, yeah. why'd you have to do that to Hawkeye? Who's kind of a fun superhero guy. It, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. Uh, he barely shot any arrows. Okay. So speaking of Marvel, I gotta yeah. know, man, how did you break into Marvel? I want to hear this story uh, because I'm sure if we have listeners out there that, like myself, who have always I wanted to draw, I would have always wanted to work for Marvel, DC, draw Spider Man, yada yada. How sure. how did it happen? All right, so to to paint just to, to to make it as very clear as possible, this happened in the mid to late nineties. Oh, so yeah. everything has changed. Yes, and that was everything. not a good time for Marvel Comics. Also, was it? Well, yeah. So here's basically the the what happened was I was in college and I had heard of you know I'd always wanted to make comics. It's what I wanted to do since I was 11 years old uh, and I was drawing all the time and I knew that they had internships at Marvel comics. Mm. So I looked into the internship program and I remember calling and speaking to somebody at Marvel and they, they basically broke it down for me. They said, look, you send your resume in. We look them over. If there's a position, we'll let you know. But right now the company, this was in 1996. Yeah. Uh, She's like company right now is in a, in a really weird place. I may not be here in six months, but call back in six. That's what it's called back in a few months. And, you know, we'll see where things are, but basically send your resume in and we'll, we'll take it from there. So I waited a few months. I did call back. That woman was no longer there. <laughs> oh, jeez! Cause at that, that was right before what was then called Marvel Cution where they fired yes. a ton of people. So that would have been 95. That's when that was. Okay. Uh, so, you know, a few months, whatever it was, I, I reached back out and I spoke to the new intern coordinator and she had me send the resume, and then I basically called every week. Oh, nice! <laughs> to see what the status was. Yeah, and eventually they said, "Okay, yeah, you are, 
you'll be an intern this summer. It was summer of 96. So, wow. uh, just over 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and they like, you'll be in this office and you, when can you start? I was like, well, I have to fly up from Florida so I can start on, you know, X day and we're off to the races. So that was part one. Okay. Getting that internship. Part two yeah. was I interned that summer and then I worked up the nerve to show some of my, my samples because I was working on samples at night when I get back from, from a day of making photocopies. Yeah. Nothing came of it, but you know, you, you meet people and you start making the contacts. Yep. So I went back to school. I graduated and the entire time, every few months I'd call in to check in, see how people were doing. Mm. One of the interns I had interned with got a job there. He actually left school early to start working at, at Marvel. And then I graduated, came up to New York just to, to visit people and show samples around. Right. And at that point I'd done, uh, what were they samples of? It was a X-Men script that they give you to work on. Okay. So I did those samples. I was walking around with those. And then the editor at the time of Deadpool, Matt Idelson, yeah, liked the samples enough not to give me a job, but to give me another plot to work from. He's like, work off of this plot and, and show me what you can do. For more samples. Yes. Okay. Which, you know what? Promising. That was encouragement. Promising. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I took this Deadpool script. I picked five pages out of it. I went ahead and drew those pages, sent those in to every editor and assistant editor that was there. And that got me my first freelance job, an issue of what if. Whoa. So that was your first uh, book was what if, Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I love what if I and this, love and this is like, you know, I don't think it works this way anymore, but this is basically the equivalent of if you were a stand-up comedian in the eighties and nineties, this was, you right. know, you, you'd work up your five minutes and try and get a spot on the tonight show. And yeah. And you send it in and they gave you a spot. Yeah. So uh-huh. I sent in my samples, my five page sample, and I got a, I got a spot. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What, what was the, what if story? Do you remember? Uh, of course I remember. Do of I course remember? You remember. What are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> first Marvel the job biggest up. thing in his whole life. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can, I can tell you what I bought with the first paycheck. <laughs> uh, so was it a stereo, was it a stereo? No, it was a, uh, the re-release of the millennium Falcon in 1997, I guess. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. They were doing the special editions that it was a toy I never had as a kid because it was too expensive. And yeah, now so like, I I, I'm afford. getting this fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So it was a what if number 104, volume two, okay. number 104. What if the Silver Surfer, uh, no, what if the Impossible Man had the Infinity Gauntlet? Oh. So the big oh. twist was it's the end of the Infinity Gauntlet story. Uh, Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet. All the heroes are sort of busted out, you know, all busted. Captain America is the last guy standing. I don't know how well you guys remember Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Silver Surfer and Adam Warlock are in space and they're figuring out this plan that Silver Surfer is going to zoom in at the last minute and steal the gauntlet. So in the what if, just as the Silver Surfer is about to grab it, the Impossible Man shows up and takes it. <laughs> it's like, yoink! See ya, guys. Yeah. And it becomes oh. like a, a, a big silly romp of a, of a thing. And that was my uh, my very first comic book. That is fun. Did they hire a lot of interns uh, back then? Did they, did they usually hire from, from the intern pool? Uh, yeah, I think at the time, because then the next thing that happened was, so I did that comic book, and then it's like, yeah. okay, now what do I do? Yeah. And a bunch of shifts happened at Marvel in terms of who was working, who got promoted, who left, and there was an opening in the office I had interned for. Okay. Uh, so then I became Tom Brevoort's new assistant. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. awesome. So, well, you're going to hit that soundboard one more time because I got to work on 
I showed up in 19, end of 97, October 97, and the books yeah. we were working on were uh, the Heroes Return stuff. So, Busick Perez, Avengers, uh, Dan Jurgens, John Romita Jr., Thor. Whoa. Uh, Thunderbolts was already in play at the time. So, these were the books that I got to work on, and it was awesome. Wow. Geek Boner. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so... You're penciling for Marvel. How long How long are you penciling for them? So I did that one issue. Then I started yeah. working there. And then uh, I, you know, I had a full-time job. So I kind of just poke around other offices. Like, is there anything to, that I might get to do? I ended up doing two more issues of What If. Uh, 113, which was What If uh, uh, Tony Stark Became Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I did the Love final that. issue of What If, which was 114. Oh. Which was a, a what if uh, the Secret Wars, everybody was stuck on Battleworld. And it takes place 20 years later and all the heroes have and villains have had children. And they're still there. They never came back. And they never came back. Yeah. Oh, and that, it turns great. out, was uh, Jay Ferber's first comic book work. Oh, wow. So I drew his first comic and we are still pals to this day. That's great. I, I bet, know right there. Yeah. Yeah. I bet yeah. you, uh, you know, a lot. I mean, well, listening to your podcast. You've had a lot of these guys on. Uh, what did you get to design any characters uh, on of your own there? At Marvel, I designed. Yeah. Well, I designed those kids in that last issue. Of what if? Which is yeah, kind okay. of what got me the job because the the story was happening, and the editor had shared like the basic plot with me, and I was looking at. It, and I just started designing characters just for the fun of it because it's just you know when I was on the phone with a, a creator or something, I'd I'd be sketching. And I was showing these designs to the editor. And at a certain point, he's like, you know what? Do you want to just draw this thing? And I said, yeah, of course I do. So <laughs> I did. Um, and then at one point, the New Warriors had a series. And I redesigned Namorita's costume. It was, I designed oh, wow, it as it was, cool. it was like a white costume with like fishnet arms. Some yeah. people liked it. Some people hated it. So I designed that. I'm trying to think of what else did I maybe design? That's the big one. That's cool. I mean, I tried redesigning a bunch of stuff. Now, in yeah. hindsight, I probably didn't need to redesign the, th the stuff I wanted to redesign. But I have a bunch of sketches of, like, a design for Moon Knight. I had a I had a design for Hawkeye that I'd worked up. I had a bunch of stuff I was doing. So then you then you become an assistant editor. How yes. Does this happen? How does this happen? Uh, because the the you know basically maneuverings up at Marvel led to. Uh, people getting shifted into different offices. The assistant editor that was in that office got promoted to an associate editor. So then there okay. was an opening. Okay. And I got the call and like, Hey, do you want to come, uh, come up here? And I said, of course I do. And that was it. So I became an assistant editor. I did that for two years, two and a half years. Wow. What, so what exactly does an assistant that, what are your duties? What do you do? I like how, and like coming as a penciler, did it help you? I probably helped you see more of the business end of like comic books. Well, it, it becomes, yeah. So as a penciler, it, it's a different set of tools. I mean, the idea was I, was, I always wanted to write and draw my own stuff. Right. Like that was always the goal, but you, you know, you get, you got to get in somehow, whether it's penciling, inking, letter, whatever it is, you find your, your skill set. So the, the job of assistant editor is, this will be obnoxious to assist the editor. But what, <laughs> what, what you're actually doing is whatever the editor doesn't want to do and whatever you can't give to the intern. So in my case, oh. and then, and then it's office to office. It really depends on, on the structure of things. So because I tended to enjoy working with artists and dealing with that stuff more, that kind of became my domain. So I would go out into the bullpen and work with the production team 
and do deal with covers and figure out the, the logos for the, the colors for the logo and cool. yeah. what the cover sketch was going to be and all that stuff. And then I would call up, I mostly called pencilers and inkers just to see where they were on the book. Like, you know, where are the pages and just have nice long conversations with these people, which was amazing. Yeah. Favorite part of the job. Uh, and then I also, and then Tom, who, who was my editor, my boss, he dealt with writers more. He, he was better with writers and schedules. And I was, I just had more fun talking to artists, letterers, colorists, and then working with uh, the in-house production staff. Well, that makes sense. You know, you having the art, the art background that you can assist that way. And, uh, Take care of that stuff. Yeah, and also the other the other little advantage I had is uh, I speak Spanish. So oh, we were, yeah. So when we were working on books like Avengers Forever, uh, I was the guy that would talk to Carlos Pacheco for the most part because I could call him up and we could rap in Spanish for an hour and a half and just shoot the shit and some work would get done, but we mostly just gabbed a lot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See? Sounds like a great job. Yeah. I just, oh, it sounds great. like a dream. Like that's like one of my dream jobs you had there when I, you know, that, just listening to this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Being an assistant editor, aside from the fact that you get paid garbage and at the time assistant editors didn't even get credit in the book unless there was a letters page. Oh, that was the other oh, job. Yeah. Is, uh, we wrote, we wrote and responded to the letters in the letters page. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, which I, I took a lot of uh, initiative in where I, I made sure each letters page had a distinct voice. And I, I sort of went, I probably went overboard with some of what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. And you'd get a little freelance money for doing the letters pages, which was a nice income supplement. Like you got, you don't get paid very much uh, in publishing, let alone comics publishing. Like it's really a, a labor of love in so many ways. Plus the whole oh, time, like oh, yeah. uh, isn't Marvel like going through bankruptcy at this point? Yes. So Marvel was a bankrupt <laughs> company the entire time I worked there. Oh my uh, God. It was technically bankrupt while you're there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The entirety of my time there, uh, they were bankrupt. And I remember when I was leaving, I left in my last day was end of January, 2000. They were coming out of bankruptcy at that point. Oh Jesus. Like, so I think a month or so later is when Bill Jemis officially showed up and the rights to Spider-Man had been resolved and they were going to make the movie. Like all that stuff happened in my last probably two or three months of working there. So what a unique time in history of Marvel Comics. And from yeah. that from that to where they are now being, you know, a powerhouse of uh, of media and having Disney money is all because I left. It's all because you went through there. You kept it afloat while they were bankrupt. Or I was bankrupt. or I was the 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 weight keeping it down. <laughs> After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey listen, isn't this fucking shit awesome? Would it be great if someone actually, like, liked it enough to actually maybe support us? How about that, Imran? Did you ever think about that for one second? Well, look, listener, if you like what you're hearing so far, we do have a way for you to support us. And how the fuck do they do that? Go on to jockandnerd.com slash Patreon, or you can go on to patreon.com slash jockandnerd, which is our virtual tip jar. It works both ways. Listener, support us for any amount. You're going to get access to awesome bonus content. Rugs has got mini episodes, instant reactions to movies, more geeky audio than you can shake a geek stick at. Or a geek stick at. Oh, boy. Oh, shit. <laughs> so go on to patreon.com slash jockandnerd and donate today. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. 
If you ever believed Captain America was on the U.S. Olympic soccer team. If you ever thought that the Winter Soldier was that brace yourselves guy on the internet. And if you ever wondered just what would a raccoon do with a machine gun. Then don't let another week pass you by without tuning into Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mighty Marvel Geeks is your show about all things Marvel. With news, rumors, commentary, and interviews. As well as our weekly recommendations on what to pick up on New Comic Book Day. Official consulting hours are between 8 and 5 every other Thursday. That's Mighty Marvel Geeks on WeebyGeeks.net, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hey there, fellow podcast fans. Do you love comic books and especially Swamp Thing? Get out of the bayou. So do we. Come check out the Parlopod Show, the world's only podcast dedicated to the muck-encrusted mockery of a man himself, Swamp Thing. This is some serious arcane audio. We also have a sister show, Splurch, where we dive into the world of comics and all the crazy aspects of life. Give us a listen at Parlopod.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, our YouTube YouTube channel, visit our site, parlapod.com, and consider supporting our Patreon for some really cool rewards and exclusive content. Check us out on podcastradionetwork.net every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Join the conversation on Twitter by following at Parlapod. We'll see you in the swamps. In the swamps. In the swamps. In the swamps. I got to talk about one thing you worked on during this time. And this is something I wasn't aware of because I kind of, I started reading comic books like 1986, but then by the mid nineties, I was out. Cause I was like, it sure. was oversaturated. Right. And like I said, when Spider-Man had 14 different titles, I was like, ah, no, I can't. Yeah. The I can't clone, do this. Plus, the clone yeah. saga broke. Yes. Me. Yes. The clone saga completely killed me. Plus uh, that was when um, I was, I started college. And so, Sure. I'm in New York City. I went to Pratt. I'm in college. I'm not really reading comic books, but I did a little research. Rugs, do you remember the story Fast Lane? Do you remember the Spider Man marijuana propaganda series called Fast Lane that was published in 1999? Uh, I read the whole backstory on this, and this is crazy. I need you to tell me the story of Fast Lane. Me? Not you, Greg, yes, who Ruggs. grew it. Rugs, yes, make no, it up. No, Improvise I, something. Rugs, do you do you remember Fastlane at all? Have you heard of this? I don't remember it at all. Right. all. So here's, uh, I'll give you the, the, the semi-short uh, version of, so Fastlane, at a certain point when I was working at Marvel, I got to become uh, friendly with and learn about their uh, licensing division. Yeah. Which, for somebody that just wants to draw superheroes being superheroes, that was... That sounds like a great job. Yes. Yeah. It was awesome because especially at Marvel, it wasn't really style guide driven. It was, you know, custom comics or, you know, we need a drawing for an amusement park ride at Universal Studios, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So I I got in with those dudes and started doing work with them, uh, which was awesome because it paid better because the budgets were better and you just got to draw superheroes. Yeah, you don't have to worry about story or anything. You just Nothing. make a cool superhero. I'm gonna draw Spider Man. He's gonna look awesome. That's it. You just get to draw. Awesome. So at a certain point, there was this project that they had been working on in conjunction with some White House office for a, a PSA, like a yeah. straight up anti you know don't do drugs PSA comic. And they said, "Hey, do you want to draw this thing?" And I said, "Of course I do." 
<laughs> Spider-Man. I'll draw a Spider-Man yeah. comic. Why not? Yeah. You have to do it. Yes. Yeah. Like, how do you, you not? Turn that down. You can't. Yeah, you don't it. turn it down. Well. So, you know, they, they told me what it was and they're like, there are going to be certain rules that because it's an anti-drug thing, but it's going to be everywhere. Like this comic is going to be in every Marvel book for four months, skipping it. Like it'll be every other month, but for four months. And it's going to be in Boys Life magazine and Girls Life magazine and I think like Parade. It was everywhere. Like Holy the print run was crap. ridiculous. Wow. And I got to pick my inker and everything about it was like, oh, this is a perfect, this is a perfect gig. Yeah. Everything about this is great. It paid better than my regular uh, page rate was. Like, this is gorgeous. And then just drawing Spider-Man. Like, yeah. You know, doing anti-drug stuff. So it started coming out. People hated it because it was in every <laughs> single Marvel comic. Like you could not escape it. And then it wouldn't be in the next month. And then it would come back. What, what, so they did every other month for four yes. months. I don't understand yes. this strategy. First of all, it was a uh, November. I think it was, was it, I think it was October, December. No, it was, I don't I just know it was at the end of 2000, end of 99 into 2000. And, and people would just become suit, you know, at the, in the, Early days of message boards, people had no patience for this thing. <laughs> well, I can imagine it would have been confusing because, like, you're it was these inserts, and they kind of like the in the DC comic books, they had the the, the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman Snickers ad that confused oh, annoying that, as that confused the shit out of me. I was like, wait, what? When did Batman get to this story? And I'm like, oh, it's a fucking ad, and it was in every fucking issue. It was yeah, ad. it was exactly like that. It was <laughs> each one was eight pages, and you know we did it to look like a like a like a damn comic book. So it looked like, I mean, if you were reading a Spider-Man book, you were definitely yeah. going to be confused because <laughs> yeah, like out of the story, who is this guy? Why does he have a bowl? Uh, yeah. Why is he, where's this a smoky van in this? Yeah. And it's a totally cheeseball story about the, the menace of marijuana and, and what it can do to you. And as somebody that has never smoked marijuana, I was just like floating in the breeze. I was asking, <laughs> I was asking dudes in the bullpen, like, what does a bowl look like? And I'm you know, sure they, they were. Hey, you drew it well. It's pretty accurate. Your drawing. Well, no, I, I sat down with a guy. I'm like, how do you mean? And I sketched it in front of him. He's like, no, no, do this better. And I and I like that was my reference. Was I was like <laughs> doing a, a police sketch artist? Because again, this is early days of the internet, so yeah, you couldn't you really just you, look up. Yeah, you couldn't Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't even Google it. Google bomb, please. I mean, I'd at that point I'd seen a one hitter, but I knew they didn't want a one hit. Like they right. wanted a you know, a small pipe that the kid could have in his pocket. So, you know, I knew enough of the terminology. I knew who to ask, <laughs> but, but it's definitely a ridiculous just, story. They just put him on a, a subway to like the Bronx. Like, <laughs> like, hey, go talk to some people. Yeah. Like the kid is straight up having full on hallucinations, which is, it does not, that's not what weed does. No, that's the, hilarious. so I found some scans of this and yeah, there's a, there's this one page where everything's like an LSD trip for some yeah, reason. It's absurd. And I read that he couldn't actually, you couldn't draw him actually smoking anything. Yeah, he couldn't, the things we couldn't do, he couldn't actually be smoking. Uh, Spider-Man couldn't punch anybody. Oh boy. So all the fights had to be choreographed so that he would just like, you know, use his webs to trip somebody up or what. I, you know, I got to draw him jumping around a lot, which was fun. I got to draw Mysterio, which was great. Yeah, dude, you got to draw Spider-Man. I mean, it's hilarious yeah. how, how infamous this is. It's actually, Rugs, this is in the Reefer Madness Museum. This comic book. Holy shit. Is it really? <laughs> I believe so. It's on reefermadnessmuseum.org. Wow. Uh, uh, so it's it's done good. 
I wonder how many kids actually started smoking pot after they read this. I think that's, oh, that's, that's what I would have done. Smoke this actual comic. They just rolled it up and smoked it. Yeah, they're like, this comic, we're just going to smoke this comic. Hey, man, the drawing is good. That's all I can tell you. The Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, there was there was definitely a case of, okay, so at the time, uh, Tom and I were putting a book together called Avengers One and a Half. Yeah. Which was a Bruce Tim Avengers comic that was freaking awesome. Wow. The entire idea of it, it was Bruce Tim and Roger Stern. And the whole idea of it was we wanted to basically make a comic that would have come between Avengers number one and number two. So it had to look like a comic from 1963 or 62, whatever it was. So we built this thing, you know, from the, from the ground up, I suppose we got fake ads drawn promoting books that didn't exist. Oh, even the ads are all old school. Nice. Yeah. The ads are all old school. I found an ad from a comic and I took all the text out of it and rewrote the body copy, keeping uh-huh. all the headlines, like made yeah. a joke ad on the back cover. Like we went full out on this thing, colored it like an old comic. Everything about it looked like an old comic book, but it was coming out in a month that Fastlane was going to be in every single book. Oh no. So I actually went down to our manufacturing and said, listen, I'm asking you, I drew this thing and I do not want it in this comic book. <laughs> please don't run it in this comic book. Wow. Can you please not put this thing in this book? It will ruin the entire thing. Oh, no. And I, and I, I got assurances. Yep, we'll make sure it's not in there. Great. And boom, there it was. Oh, no. And, uh, I tore mine out. <laughs> wow. I heard people would, were so mad at this, they would rip it out of the comic book. Yeah, I ripped it out of my copy of uh, you- Avengers 1 and a half. A goddamn penciler himself is like, no, yeah. why? Like, this wasn't supposed to be here. I asked for it not to be here. Is this the only time you got to draw Spider-Man also? No, because I did a lot of Spider-Man stuff for, for the licensing people. And in the first comic I ever drew, uh, the that that issue of uh, What If, in the event that it was going to be the last comic I ever drew, I did draw every character I ever wanted to draw in the background. Oh, nice. He just slipped up in there, huh? No, there's at the end of the story, the impossible man shows up and he's, he's made like a bunch of other impossible men. Yeah. So I then, and they're all turning into something else. Like they're all just being transformed into other stuff. So I'm like, all right, well then I'm just going to do an impossible man version of every character I've ever wanted to draw. That's great. So, and there's a silhouette of Batman in the background. It's all Marvel characters. Deadpool's in there. Like they're all, it's a big, it's a big, uh, Super party of characters. So if you find what if number one oh four, the final panel at the last page, it's got everybody. I want the collected edition of the fast lane. That's what I want. I'm gonna, there is a I'm gonna, there's a collected edition of it in Marvel put out a trade of like their PSA comics. Yeah, and it's oh, in boy. there. But oh. but before you go and spend the ridiculous amount of money it costs to buy this thing, yeah. Instead of working from like the original film and files. Yeah, he just scanned like the old insert. It looks terrible. What? Yeah. What? It looks what? Awful. Whoa. Yeah. It's, See, it's, now I'm thinking of like I'm thinking of an elaborate prank to pull on Greg. It's like every time he buys a book, he opens it. It's in there. You put fast paper. <laughs> he pulls on a plane. He pulls out the you know the the, the magazine that they give you. And There's a fast light insert in the yeah, sky it's mall. Everywhere. <laughs> and the, the, you know that would be a that would be a cruel gag because <laughs> you only get paid once. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see any of the Skyball money. Damn yeah. it! Uh, but just all the Boy Scouts that got to read that. Just think of what good. You oh, no, did. people. If if you were reading comics in the late, you know, ninety nine two thousand, most yeah. people uh, have some memory of Fastlane, and most people uh, say the art was good, and that's fine <laughs> by me. 
<laughs> that's all. That's, that's the all thing, that needs, man. Yeah. Right I didn't like start reading again until like late 20, 2000, like 2010, 11. And I missed, I don't know if I missed some good stuff, but I definitely I, missed stuff. I have those issues. Oh, I really? I have them because Ooh. I have tons of comics from that time. And that, yeah. especially the nineties, the late nineties, I have a shitload of comics. Yeah. What also becomes funny is if I ever do just a Google search of my name, I come up in the credits for a lot of books because of yeah. that fat. And I'm like, I didn't work. Like people come up to me at convention, like, will you sign this? And I'm like, I didn't like, I guess I did the insert. So that's it. Not the whole book. Like, oh, right, man. I guess that's I'll sign it. It <laughs> feels weird. <laughs> so Greg, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, your work with you doing SpongeBob comics, uh, currently. Yes, I've I've been involved with SpongeBob Comics since uh, the comic launched, and before that at Nick Magazine, Nickelodeon Magazine. Wow, at Nickelodeon. So you know you've done you you've done a lot of work with licensed characters, and uh, this is something I didn't get. We talked to Floyd Norman, you know, Disney animator, and it's something yep. I didn't really get to ask him that I wanted to ask was, you know, working in this house style when you work for a Disney or a Nickelodeon or a SpongeBob, obviously there you everything's kind of got to look the same and you learn how to draw similarly to other people. Now I'm sure you as the actual artist and hanging out with cartoonists, you notice little differences in who draws these licensed characters, but at heart they're licensed characters. They got to look in that certain style. Is it challenging to like work in the house style or can you, how do you put your signature in this house style? Uh, you don't, you definitely don't put your signature on it. Okay. You, the idea is to make it look like it looks like on TV. Like you want right. it, it's called on model. You want the stuff to be okay. on model. Okay. Uh, so you get the model sheets, you study the model sheets, you learn what the proportions are, you make sure, you know, and you, when I was doing it, so I started at Nickelodeon in their creative services department in or consumer products department in 2000. Okay. And my first sign was, all right, there's this new character named SpongeBob and uh-huh. start learning how to draw them. And wow. you start by just drawing that, the wedge shape, like the basic right. box shape over and over again till you get the proportions right. And then you just look at a bunch of model sheets and I just would watch two or three episodes a day and pull screen grabs and just, you're, you're studying it. It's like, it's like studying anatomy. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and looking at how you look at storyboards to see how they're constructing the figures and all that stuff. And you, you just sort of learn it trial and error and practice and getting notes back from, production in LA they'd send back blue lines and ah. with like tracing like tracings over it to show you what you did right or wrong and eventually you sort of get a knack for it to the point where I was I had reached the point where I was doing corrections on other people's stuff oh nice uh, that I- became part of my job uh, and yeah so so depending on the characters sometimes it comes easier than others so Spongebob was was pretty challenging because he's such a specifically weird little character yeah yeah uh, Something like uh, Invader Zim, for some reason, came a little easier to me. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Neutron was maybe the easiest of the bunch because it was going CGI to 2D. So everything so I did. You, yeah. Well, you could make it kind of your own thing because it didn't yeah. exist in 2D. Yeah. There was a little more freedom in terms of like, yeah. all right, it's just going to look like a cartoon character. And there's not really a model to. I mean, there was some stuff like you could make his head too big. You can make his hair the wrong shape or whatever. But. At that point, I was the pretty much the only guy drawing G- Jimmy Neutron stuff. Right. So. so now you're kind of setting the on model for in the future. 
Yeah. To a certain degree. I mean, at a certain point, they realized, oh, why don't we just trace the CGI, like have them oh, build no. figures and trace, and that became part of the job, which was very boring. Oh, that doesn't sound like fun at all. But no. I bet, can you do SpongeBob now? Like, you probably got to the point where you didn't have to look at the model sheets anymore. Oh, no. I, the only time I have to look at the model sheets is every now and again, I'll forget the spot breakdown on the top of his head. Oh, my God. That's so specific. In yeah. A you have to have the spots <laughs> in the same place yeah. every time. But I, I think even at this point, I know I know those. I just sometimes don't trust my memory because yeah. you know you don't draw the top of his head all that often. So when it comes up, I'm like, let me just make sure I have this right. And I, you know, I have a little turnaround on my computer, and I bring up that file, and I look, and I'm like, okay, we're good. Nothing to see here, and I keep working. But yeah, I've, I mean, I've been drawing SpongeBob for 17 years at this point. So wow, yeah. Now you were doing strictly pencils, right? So. On the comics, I do pencils and inks. Uh, when I was working over at Nickelodeon, uh, it was just pencils. Yeah, I would do. So my job at Nickelodeon was they'd come up and say, all right, uh, we need to do 15 poses of SpongeBob for Valentine's Day stuff. So I'd sit there and work up a bunch of sketches and say, what about this? You know, SpongeBob and Patrick with a box of chocolates, SpongeBob and Patrick dancing with hearts. They'd pick 10 or 15 of, of the 30 sketches I did. And then I would pencil those out. And then those would go to somebody else who would then create a illustrator file that could be used a million times over on a Valentine's card or a packaging or a shopping bag or whatever. T-shirt. That's awesome. I love hearing about the process. It's it's fascinating. So you're working, are you and you're working, you said you're working completely digital now. Yes. Nowadays I work completely digital. I work on a Cintiq. Yeah. And uh going back to me transforming digital to analog, I have it set up so that I know exactly how much to zoom in on the page. So it's the size, like the physical size of a sheet of paper. Okay. Right. So I never zoom in to the point where I'm over detailing stuff. I just, I treat it like paper. I have and you're not, brushes. so you're not, you don't go past like a hundred percent. Basically. I work at 25% for the most oh, part. Oh my God. You're at 25. So you're, yeah. it's like physically, I see you're saying. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like it's a physical sheet deal. of paper. Like if yeah, I laid a piece yeah. of paper on top of my Cintiq, they'd be the same width. Huh, that's interesting. And because, uh, you know, zooming in and out does give you, uh, it yeah. just makes you want to tweak it more, that's, I guess. It's, that's it's a be... weird thing, though, with the yeah. Cintiqs, because yeah. it does create that disconnect. Because if you do zoom in or if you do, it does change everything about what you're doing. And you're like, I could yeah. get super detailed when you don't yeah, really need crazy. to be. Yeah, at the end of the day, the page is going to be the size of the page it prints. So right. if you start getting too zoomed in, Nobody's Once that prints, it's it's yeah. it's not going to show up. It just doesn't. That's not how it works. That, I mean, I love right now that you get you know you get to work on your own stuff with pics, and then you have your you you have a job where you're still cartooning. Like uh, uh, both of these things are great. What is the biggest challenge you had uh, with pics and and working, uh, you know, house style art? Like, but like going between the two. Yeah, it's it's not really that. The, actually, so going back to what we were saying before about depending on the character. So when I left Nickelodeon to to go full freelance is when the show Avatar The Last Airbender started. Okay. And, you know, they said, do you want to draw this thing? And I was looking at it. And that one I, I stepped away from because it was human figures drawn like humans. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? For me to draw like this would take more effort because I have a way I draw humans than huh. for me to draw a cartoon character. Like a cartoon huh. character is is... It shapes and this and that, and I, I can learn a cartoon character from the ground up. But to draw humans differently than I normally draw humans takes a bit more effort 
And I actually didn't draw any Avatar stuff because I just didn't. It was a rabbit hole I chose not to go down. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It could almost hurt your style in a way. It could. Like if, if you sort of let it get in there. Like yeah. you know, drawing SpongeBob stuff doesn't affect really the way I draw superheroes. They're so See, they're that's so interesting. Different. Yeah. So you do have, you still get to exercise both sides of, uh, of that. Your yeah. I mean, although I do like drawing cartoony and it's a little more uh, fun. And I've had uh, friends of mine say, you should just go full out like cartoony superheroes. And I, I, I push it a little bit, but then I sort of reel back some because I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to lose that. How to draw comics the Marvel way, right? One dynamic uh, superhero yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I must the same way. Like, if you'd worked for Disney for years, you're always you're gonna end up drawing like Disney style. Like, it's just gonna be. Yeah, and, and and there's there's no. I mean, some people see, some people don't. But there's you know, Disney is definitely an influence on the way I draw. Like, I've seen those movies so many times and looked at those those like art books and all. You know, the the construction yeah. of a Disney figure, an animated figure, is is so yeah. good. When they do it right, like either Batman animated series or all the Disney movies or whatever, like they, they build these figures so that you can move them and stretch them and squash them and pose them. And you can really do just about anything. Uh, so I try to. So when you guys say Pix looks like it could be a cartoon, I'm, yeah. um, that's that's I take it as uh, the compliment that no, I yeah. it's intended to be. And that's great. Like, that's a, a great influence. I wanted to know who are some of your other uh, like comic book cartooning influences, because a lot of this, it feels a lot like. Are a nod to Archie in the way you know the eyes and the nose are sometimes, and how you even have like a redhead character and a, like a girl Archie character. Well, the, yes, those two characters are are specifically meant to evoke Archie and Jughead. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I got, I got that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are they are nods to that. You know, you got the skinny tall one with the pointy nose, and then the sort of shorter redhead with the freckles. Uh, so yeah, they are they are a little tip of the hat to Archie. And a lot of the stylistically, when I was writing it, I'm like, okay, if it can happen in an Archie comic, it can happen in Pix. So, you know, any talk of dating and stuff is a very sort of wholesome, yeah, uh, sweet Archie style approach to it. My influences, so certainly John Buscema, yeah, it through How to Draw Comics from Marvel Way, or just from him just being unbelievable and awesome. Yeah. And uh, my best day at Marvel Comics was the day I hung out with him, and you can hear that I did an episode about that on my podcast. Oh, so that's awesome. that whole story. Right on. Um, Michael Ringo is a huge influence on, on what I was doing. Uh, and he's a guy I got to talk to about our influences. And that was the freaking coolest. Yeah. I could see uh, Ringo's influence in your, in your drawing, the, like kind of in the animals and the animal scenes. Yeah. And that was, we actually talked about that a lot. We talked about how we both, you know, love Disney stuff and drawing animals. Cause he was doing tell us at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Todd DeZago. So, yeah. We talked when Todd was on, we, you know, he had a lot, of course they were yeah. great friends and yes, couldn't speak more highly of the man. And, uh, so, and so yeah, we got the kibitz over, over animation stuff and cartoony drawing and the, the, the highlights and the pitfalls of it and how you sort of don't always get taken seriously in the comic book business if you're doing cartoony stuff. And, but yeah, him. Uh, and then there are guys that aren't obvious influences, but just in terms of the fact that they were writing and drawing their own comics. So Walt Simonson, Mike Mignola, yeah. Yeah. like just them as career people. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, just because he defines so much of what a superhero should look like. I don't know if you guys know him. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've met yeah. him. He's oh, basically the, if you've seen any DC style guide art, so every t-shirt that they sell at target, like uh-huh. you know, that you see everywhere, that's, that's him. All the okay. artwork that was on the superpowers action figure packaging. Okay. Oh, that's that's, him. okay. Okay. Like, yeah. Classic, super yeah. classic superheroes. 
I mean, I read Power Pack, so John Bogdanov, or Bogdanov, yeah. I believe is how he pronounces it. I love Power Pack. So his work, for sure, which was also bouncy and cartoony and awesome. Uh, John Byrne, certainly, is another guy who was writing and drawing his own stuff and who could draw real good. So, I mean, there's so many. Like, it goes on forever yeah. and ever. Yeah. And it's on multiple levels of things. Uh, I did take, I did take a, a workshop with Will Eisner, so he was a oh. pretty significant influence. In wow! How to tell stories visually? Yeah, yeah. That was that's awesome. the that's the man you want to learn the about master. How to tell stories? Yeah, that was. That's why I really. I mean, you see that in pics because, like, this is a page turner. Like the pacing and the storytelling and your shots, it's just effortless to read, and it just goes by so quickly. Which uh, it Make just always tells again, me, man. I mean, that always tells me like this is a special book, like uh, because it's not. It just you just consume it and and you're all in for the ride. So. I, I especially in the, in the time in this day and age where decompressed stories are yes seem to be all the rage. I'm I'm glad to know that it's not off putting that the thing never stops and it's just dense pages with that like you that at a certain point you put it down and yeah. we're gonna come back to it. I like that because it means you didn't just read a thing that took me a year to make in no I know minutes. no no and uh, I I mean it is it's refreshing in 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 that sense what you said everything is totally decompressed like. I love The Walking Dead. I've been buy. I bought uh, the trade paperbacks. I buy every issue, but sometimes it pisses me off. I pay four dollars and I flip through the book in like two minutes. There's barely any words, and I'm like, "What did I just pay for? Like, wh right. why is this so slow? You couldn't give me any more goddamn story." Uh, yeah, no, I, I I'm not gonna argue with you on, on right? decompressed stories and comics being too expensive. I am, uh, yeah, I I, I am amazed that my book is somehow cheaper than a Marvel trade paperback. That still blows my freaking mind because wow. when I was a kid and, and you may attest to this as well, like yeah. image comics were the most expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays they're the cheapest, <laughs> like invincible yeah. is still two ninety nine. Wow. Really? It's, yeah. It started at two ninety five. It has gone up four cents and DC just restructured, but then I think they're raising prices again. They were going to try to keep it at, well, it seems from the solicits what they're doing is they're going all their their bi weekly titles are staying right. at two ninety nine. Okay, but everything that's a monthly book is going up to three ninety nine. And I was only buying monthly books because I didn't want to buy things twice a month. So I right. might I might be done buying DC books, which is crazy. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you what you buy. Uh, well, I, I haven't bought anything from Marvel in ages because wow, they're just too expensive, and I just yeah. I, I can't spend $4 on a 20 page story. Yeah. Just, I can't do it. So what do I buy? Let me go company by company from DC. I've been reading new Superman, which I like. Uh, that's where, that's the one it. where he's, where he's Chinese, right? Yeah. That's the Chinese. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, like a, it's I read good. the first episode. It was hilarious. It's really funny and weird. It's good. It's, it's a superhero comic. Like the, the kid gets these powers. He's sort of a dick. He's like flash. He's Thompson. a dick. He's That's superpowers. the best part. Yeah. He's a the Chinese guy's a dick. It's great. Yeah. So it's good. You know, things happen and it's like, it yeah. moves at a good pace. You feel like you're reading a comic book. Uh, Batgirl has been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, from image. What am I getting at image? By invincible. By savage dragon. I just read curse words. Number one. And that was awesome. Did you guys read that? No, I haven't read that. <laughs> it is bananas and it's great. It's uh this wizard shows up. It's really, it's quite something. I was very charmed by curse words. Uh, let's see what else. I, I've been reading that green Valley. I should pull up my pull list, but I'm not doing it. I'm just going off of my, off top of my dome. Then oh, I'll, I'll buy Copperhead when that comes back. Oh yeah. I heard I, that's good. 
Yeah, Popper is good. Saga is good. Although I'm very Saga, behind. I read. Yes, uh, I like Paper Saga. Girls. I read that. I like and that. I buy a bunch of stuff from Boom because they do a lot of stuff that is for a similar audience to what I'm shooting for. So I like yeah, to keep up yeah. with that. So I read yeah. Lumberjanes. I read Oh Giant Days. I like a lot. That book from Boom. Um, Goldie Vance is fun. And then I don't do anything with Mighty W. I've been buying Knights Dominion from Oni. There's some other Oni book, and I can't. Oh, um, Super Battle Lunchtime, I think it's called. The first issue is good. That sounds interesting. It's a. It's the first issue is this this gal who's a a chef gets like taken to space for like a top chef in like against aliens competition. Mm-hmm. And the first issue is solid. So I have the rest of them. I just haven't gotten to reading them. And then I buy you know graphic novels, a lot of stuff that First Second puts out. Scholastic. I check that stuff out. Um, yeah, you got to check in on on all the kid stuff. And I think it's interesting that you didn't do, you know, you're not doing a monthly book. Like you said, the market is graphic novels. And I'm always like, are they ever going to stop selling single issue books if it bombs that bad? If 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 people just stop buying them? It's it's so hard to say. Every time they raise their prices, it makes you go, then not, not enough people are buying these things because right. they have to keep raising the prices. So I don't know. I feel like at a certain point, it's become like vinyl records. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And comic yeah. shops are like record stores. Yeah. Which is fine. But I don't know if that's a growth business. I'm not sure. Right. I, you know, right, if you right. ask me, I think digital comics should be so much cheaper and digital yes. should be, you know, this is not new. People have been saying this forever. Digital should be the new newsstand. Absolutely. If you want to get it out there the quickest to the most people, like why are you still shipping books to stores? Really? It's well, all even, you could still ship the books to stores and they could be yeah. four dollars each, but the yeah. digital version should not be four dollars. Yes. I liked when Marvel was well, Marvel was giving you codes. You still had to buy the book and you'd right. get the digital code. I was like, I guess that's good, but I already bought the book. You know, what is the point of this? I, I would buy so many comics and probably never read them because they'd be on my machine and I'd yeah. forget they were there. But if they yeah. were a dollar each. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I'd spend like 60 bucks a month just buying digital garbage. Absolutely. I, 99 I cents. I've never read a yeah. digital comic book. Really? Really? Wow. I no. mean, just the ones that I get for, that I read for the show, but because the, I get them in digital. The form, iPad right? is like the perfect thing because yeah. it's like the same size as a piece of paper and the colors just pop. It's brighter. You could zoom in and out. You could do the guided view. Like, it's quite a great experience, but I also, I love holding the books, but now like the storage like is an issue or talk to the angry guy that runs it <laughs> and see, I like to hear him fucking shit on everybody in the business. See, I, like I was always, a, I was always a terrible comic shop customer. Like I'd go in, I would buy my books. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I just no. go in, buy my stuff, walk out. Oh, it, it, that's like my, uh, that's like my, uh, therapy. I go there and I sit down, I talk to the comic shop owner. And yeah, he like never did it. How, how, how bad his life sucks, and I tell him how bad my life sucks, and then I just leave. Well, we grew up in an age when these comic book stores, like the owners, weren't friendly. Like you didn't want to ask him questions; you just wanted to get it out. I, I wear it as a badge of honor that the comic store guy will like call me on my birthday. And well, oh, wow. see, Rugs is. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know, and I don't even buy that many comic books anymore. I mean, actually, like, um, I stopped buying superhero comics altogether, and now I just buy indie stuff. So what do you what do you, what are your top picks? What do you what do you what are your yeah. big recommendations? Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, I, I what do you, I read, what do you most look forward to when when it comes out every I, month? I, I read uh, all the Godzilla books that come out. He's a okay. big Godzilla fan. Yeah. I yeah, got that from um, that Godzilla episode. 
Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. I read anything by Mark Millar. Okay. Or Mark Miller. So he's got a bunch of books. The Empress. He's got a bunch of stuff. He's got. I've so, heard so Empress is really out. good. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, like they're like uh, they're not like they're very like uh, bite sized. Like so, he'll do like a run of like five or six books, and then he'll move on to something else. Right. And then he'll, he'll tell that story. It'll be a complete story, and then he might go back to it and give you another volume later. So he he does that. Um, I read um, uh, Rachel Rising from okay. Terry Moore. I read all the Terry Moore stuff. Um, there's so much shit I can't. I mean, just, yeah, I, yeah, no, it's I impossible it. to. I just and I like I like hearing what the first things that come to people's minds are because like Paper Girls. I, I I read the first few volumes. Saga. I was reading. Uh, now I'm going back and reading all the New Valiant stuff. I hear that stuff's really good. I have not read any of it. I I uh I picked up a bunch of us uh recently and I was like I've all the uh, trades cuz right. there was like there was I was at a convention there was deals so I bought a bunch of them. I haven't read them yet but I'm I'm raring to go cuz I love Valiant. So again, there's not enough time in the day. I got a stack of comic books here that <laughs> I I still buy. I'm still I still buy Spider-Man. Like I'll always buy Spider-Man uh regardless was, of what's going on. That was the saddest day of my life when I stopped buying it. I was like, I need to know what's going on in Spider-Man's life. But then I have like uh, uh, AD, Scott Snyder, Jeff Lemire, I think. Uh, the, there's two issues I haven't read. I've, I've bought Patience by Dan Clawis, that, that graphic novel. It's like sure. a time travel. I have yet to get to that. I got a stack of shit here. Uh, I, I need to read. I know. Um, we, we are. It is a perpetual. Like, you'll never read everything. I no. think at one, I think two years ago, I'm like, I guess I'll never read Cerebus. I guess that's just how it's going to be. Oh, uh, dude, I had a big, thick, that thing. First of all, that thing is like a phone book, right? I had a phone book volume. Oh, there's and a I lot was, of phone books. There's yes. Like, there's like eight of them. That's insane. It's like 800 pages. But I was, I, I first read Cerebus when I was like, I was really young. I was like 13 or 14. I forgot how I got it. And it was way over my head at the time. But I really, I love the black and white art and, uh, and the fact that it was an aardvark. And then I went back and I read it like years later and it was amazing. And I was like, wow, I definitely didn't get this when I was 13. I don't know what I was yeah, doing. You have to go back and read that one yeah. a second time. Yeah. yeah. I just, I, I think I've just decided like, I guess I'm never going to read it. Cause I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, I don't think they'll ever make a movie about that shit. I mean, that, that's just probably impossible. not. Yeah. But I don't know when I'm going to have, to, I'm going to sit there and read 300 issues of this thing. Like I, I just, I don't know. I Look, don't know you're, a, you're a busy man. You got, you're working on picks. You got freelance stuff and you got a podcast. So like before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. It's called the oh, stuff said one, which I, yeah. uh, if for the listener out there, if you enjoy, I loved it because I love hearing working, uh, artists talk about art and it's just you and your cartoonist buddies. And you had some amazing, you had amazing guests on here. Rugs, you had Dan Slot on his show. Holy shit. Yeah. That's Eric a, Larson. That was, that was a long one. Chris, uh, Chris yeah. Eliopoulos was a great episode. I, I, I listened to that one. Uh, some great names, great discussions. Like I really enjoyed the geeking out about, about the, it, the profession in the industry. Um, how often is that coming out now? Stuff. Said. So when I first started doing the show in 2011, I was doing one show a month and I, you know, okay. I, I, I'd sit there and I'd edit and I'd cut out ums and uhs and it was a ton of work. Uh, and it, it was taking more and more time to do these shows because I'd also read as much of the people's stuff that I could. I, it was yeah. I was going overboard, and then I started doing the other podcast, which is the Tom Cruise one, which we don't have to get into if we don't want to. But <laughs> then it then suddenly I was doing four hours of content a month uh, for zero dollars, 
yeah. and trying to write and draw new books. So at a certain point, something had to give. Uh, so I put stuff set on hiatus after four years. I sort of just put it, put it, put it down for a bit saying I'd come back to it. So for four years, it was once a month. So there's like 60 episodes or so of that yeah. run. And yeah. then, yeah, the, the episode that really killed me was the Robert Kirkman one. Cause he had Kirkman on, right? That's awesome. Holy yeah. Fuck. Cause that one was like a two hour conversation edited down from like a two and a half hour conversation. Yeah. And then I put an April Fool's Day episode together that involved like basically making up a fake Robert Kirkman interview and recording that. It was ridiculous. It's oh a great episode. <laughs> Wait, yeah. did Kirkman do the, the fake episode too? No, he, uh, he gave us his, he gave us the blessing though. To, okay. To do him. I, I said like, Hey, here's your episodes coming out April 15th. But what I'd like to do is a, an episode April 1st where I interview Robert Kirkman K U R. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. That sounds fun. I'm like, great. Thank you. So me and a couple of other uh, guys sat down and basically wrote an interview, like a fake interview. Yeah. 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 And then recorded it and treated it like a regular episode. So that became another hour of content to build. Oh, it was ridiculous. Absurd. Um, so that kind of killed me. And then I, you know, I put the show on hold and now the show happens when it happens. Basically when I have a minute and I have somebody to talk to, I'll, I'll put a show out. So like, for instance, picks two is due, uh, March 20th. So from now yeah. until March 20th, I'm not recording anything. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Right. Uh, yeah. But you know, there are people I've talked to about doing a show and then I want to do more shows cause I enjoy doing it. And then there are some shows I've written just solo shows of me telling a story or something. I want to do those. So there's definitely stuff I want to do. Uh, there are people that I would love to talk to sort of my, my holy grail of people that I would love to sit down and talk with someday, somehow. Uh, so it's a great yeah, insight into the industry, dude. I really, I, I hope you keep going and let me, so I listen to all your solo yearly shows okay. and I really love that as a listener. I loved hearing uh, just kind of what it takes to be a cartoonist, uh, the stories of the industry, stories of Marvel and all that. And let me tell you, I, I the Chris Iliopoulos interview compared to your early interviews where you were like, I was editing all this ums and ahs. Uh, the Elio the Chris Eliopoulos one was fine, dude. You're putting, you don't need to put all that work into it. I think you sit down, you record, you just publish it because the, one of the best things about this medium is that it is just, it's a conversation and people get it. And yeah, no, uh, I mean, look, I had, I had very, uh, I had big visions of yeah. something sounding as much like something you would hear on public radio as possible. I mean, I've been there. I felt the same way yeah. with this show in the beginning and I've learned that, you know what? Uh, you can, sometimes you can relax some of this. It just, uh, it's, it'll be fine. There, there was an episode I did early on. I had Jim Kruger on and I was, yeah. I was in LA and I, oh, I also always did the shows face to face. Like I did every episode, but two in person, face to face yeah. with the person yeah. in, in person. Yeah. yeah. Because I think there, there is something about having a conversation face to face. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You pick up on stuff. So I did this one with Kruger and I got back to New York and I listened to the audio and my audio was fried like oh, completely. No. Like my gain was up too high and I just sound awful. I was like, oh, oh no. this is bad. So I actually went and re-recorded my my part for the entire show. Oh, All you did one of those. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. You're nuts. Dude. <laughs> oh. oh, wait. It gets, so then and then I explain at the beginning of the episode what happened. And I talk about how I re-recorded it and blah, blah, blah. So I did all that. And then uh, Jason Howard, who drew Super Dinosaur and Trees. Very oh, nice cool. guy. He was, yeah. he was on the show as well. <laughs> I remember him telling me, he's like, you got to not 
why bother explaining everything that went wrong? We yeah. don't know. Yeah. Like we would have no idea that any of that happened. Just put the shows out. Stop it. And it was a sort of an awakening. Like, yeah, he's right. Nobody would yeah. know that I didn't like the, the feedback loop I was getting. So I totally get it though, because I would like, I was the same way in the beginning. I was like, Oh, I want this to be good. I want this to be perfect. And while still I, you know, I, I have a standard of audio quality, the conversation, like I'll take out the, the ums, the low hanging fruit, the easy one. But for the most part, I've learned like, this is a conversation people, no, it doesn't really matter. And you're right. Nobody knows. Like you could oh. craft whatever it is. It is. Nobody knows what happened. I told everyone, there's no point in trying to make me sound like a professional person. Just yeah, it doesn't matter. It does, there's no, if, I'm not gonna. If people saw me figuring out, just so I would, I would do an intro. I would talk about, you know, what was going to happen on the show. Yeah. Plug whatever I was plugging, and then the interview would start, and I'd play some music to lead in and music to lead out. If people saw the process of me doing that, just the music, like <laughs> thinking of the perfect song, finding the perfect clip, like I'm some sort of master DJ, it's idiotic. But uh, I did. I do love doing it. So it's I'm as I'm as guilty as anything else. Yeah. No. I I get it. I get it. But the more you do it, the more I just you'll just uh, appreciate you know getting the content, putting it out. Uh, and it's really like I'm just I want to hear these conversations. I want to hear the life yeah. of a working cartoonist. What it's well, like. I, I do want to do more of them. I want to have people back on that I'd had you know because it's been long enough, and now it's a different conversation. Uh, I have this new headset, so now I can record with ZenCaster and. Just work while I'm talking, which is what I've been doing this whole time with you guys. That's uh, awesome. And, and yeah, it is it is a different way of doing it, and I just need to, yeah, it's it's yes, the Eliopolis one was was helpful because he had wanted yeah. to do the show for a while. Yeah. I can look back on it and think of all the things that we didn't talk about, but again, nobody knows. It doesn't matter because he yeah. never talked about it. You'll get him next time, and then you right. have a reason to call him back. Uh, yeah. No, if you're look, listener, if you're into like comics professionals talking comics, definitely check out. It's called the Stuff Said Podcast. Listener, if you know a kid that doesn't like to read, you buy him this book. This will get him into reading. I want you yeah. to buy. I want you to buy this and suggest it to all your little cousins and nephews and nieces, uh, because it is. It's kind of this generation's Archie. Like I mentioned in our last show, like I kind of I feel like I've learned to read from Archie comic books. It's kind of like the first thing I remember looking at it and then eventually learning how to read it when I was a kid, just cause I had cousins and they gave me all their Archie digests and I still have them somewhere. No, Archie comics are great. Jughead is, I mean, do you guys watch Riverdale? Have you guys watched this? At I, all? D- I watched the first episode and, uh, I don't, I couldn't get through the first episode. Were you, oh, you didn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't make it through the whole thing. I was like, Nope. I don't I know about the first this. episode. Yeah. Rugs likes it. So I, I watched, I've seen, uh, I'm halfway through the third episode, I think at this okay. point, but I, I watched the first episode and the whole time I'm just like, where's Jughead? Where's yeah. I want Jughead. Uh, Jughead gets better as the show keeps going, but it's actually pretty watchable. Uh, it is. It's just, that, uh, yeah. The girl playing Betty is, is so perfectly cast. Like they, they really I'm, nailed it with, with Betty. All right. I'll have to give it a couple more episodes then. I yeah. did want to see Jughead. I was, uh, I was, I was sad curious to watch, I was curious to watch the, Watch uh, the other episodes, but then Amaron went so hard against it. I was like, maybe I shouldn't. It just it's, was. It's not wh- for everyone. No, for sure. Uh, depends on where your where your your tastes lie. Like I, I happen to one of my favorite shows on TV is Jane the Virgin, so I might just be on a different track. Ah, I see. That I mean, that's actually a good show. My wife started that watching that amazing. show, and I started watching that show, and I was like, well, well the, and the girl is from Chicago. Like I'm in Chicago, I believe, and she's won an an, an Emmy. 
but it just to me it was like modern it was like 90210 darker and then they just use the archie names but i get it because even the archie comic books they've updated they've kind of you know they've kind of made it modern but then this just gets very adult and dark now, yeah and- now, riverdale is is archie meets twin peaks meets yes. uh gossip girl yes yes basically that's what i thought yeah yeah uh, jane the virgin is just a bang on great show and it is it does serialized narrative with cliffhangers and stuff better than most comics at this point it's so good I love the narrator. Like the narrator is that's an amazing uh, narrator on that show. Cause it's like it's the like, twists and the turns and like the setups and the payoffs. It's, it's so good. Good storytelling. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Good storytelling. Uh, I'll tell you what show isn't awesome. Have you seen powerless yet on NBC? I have not seen powerless and I have not Ugh. listened to you, uh, uh, rip into it. So I've not seen powerless, but I like Superstore and I like, uh, the, I love I like Superstore. The good place. The good place yeah. is really good. That's really good too. Um, powerless i don't know give it i would love to know what you think of that because it's not good well now okay so is it not good where it has no potential to become good because a lot of people will say parks and recreation was terrible in its first season but that's one of the best shows ever correct i think it does have potential but like the writing is just like i i chuckle like there's not one good laugh in it i saw the first two episodes I maybe chuckled like a couple of times. I was like, where is the jokes? It just, I don't know. Hmm. But I, I feel like it does have potential in terms of the cast. And Alan Sudik is, is saving those lines. Like, he's funny, and he's saving the lines that he gets. But the lines are not good. For me, one of the funniest shows that I've, I've watched in recent times is The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Sure. And, that, yeah. that, and that's like snappy writing, like just jokes you don't expect, and they go all over the place. And it and it's it's uh it's something that shouldn't work, but it works. Okay. Now this powerless, they tried all they could do to set it up so it would work, and it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. I mean that that does happen. I just I ask that because something I've noticed, and this will go back to our conversation about Batman, uh, is you know a show starts and then it sort of finds its way and finds its voice and finds its footing after maybe a couple episodes. Like yeah. you see if the guts are there, and then you yeah. see where what it becomes. So. You hear people talk about, you know, the original Batman was this dark Avenger and he had a gun and blah, blah, blah. But think about it as a, that's like the pilot episode. Right. And then it evolved into this other thing. So even the Avengers started as, yes, it was the heavy hitters of the Marvel Universe. But the Avengers eventually became this weird ragtag group of characters led by a heavy hitter. Yeah. That were completely dysfunctional in the mansion, but then would, when they had to, they stepped up and saved yeah. the day. And yeah. You know, that's, and then they went to like, well, the Avengers are always meant to be the big heavy hitters. And then they did Avengers disassembled. And I, I sort of checked out. I'm like, no, just because that was the original intent doesn't mean that that's what it, be, like, it evolves into what it is meant to be kind of a thing, not to get all meant to be ish. But so I wonder if a show starts out hinky, if it can find some footing or if it's just uh, broken at its roots and just is never going to grow into a beautiful tree. Well, it's got to blossom. Anything could happen. But- yeah. But I mean, that, I mean, I agree. You got it needs time to nurture. It's unfair, especially with pilot episodes, and especially with Powerless. That in the sense it was it was rewritten and retooled. Uh, they changed the whole kind of concept of the show, you know, while they were developing it. So that's rough. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, a hard, that's gonna that's be hard, hard to come back from. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, it might be a garbage show. I have no idea. I haven't seen it. There are plenty of garbage shows. Hey, listen. This is what I think. It's uh. There's so many shows on TV. There's an audience that are watching all of these shows. It's just, is the audience enough to pay the bills? That's the question. 
you could name the shittiest fucking show ever, and there's somebody that loves that show. Yeah, you can also then get a show like The Grinder, which was amazing. Did you guys watch that? And, uh, no. Which what, what was that one? Yeah, that's why it's not on. It was uh, Fred Savage <laughs> and Rob Lowe. Oh my god! I didn't even. I've not. I've not heard oh, about I this. Know, I heard that that was hilarious. Amazing, amazing, smarter than almost everything on TV, and of course, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't find its place. It's too smart. Mediocrity sells sometimes in this country, which is just unfortunate. It happens, but you. I, yeah, I cut you off. Happens. Yeah, I cut you off, Rug Boy. You were. Uh, you were saying that something. I'm about just saying that there's shows. no that there's like <laughs> you could take any show that's unsuccessful, but there's an audience. There's people that like that show. So uh, it's just about how, if they make enough money to sustain themselves. If of course. They have enough, and, that's, and that's a weird number to throw around because you take something like Supergirl that was on Channel 2. They, it wasn't making the, uh, the enough numbers to, CBS, to stay alive. Right. But now on the CW, it's like the golden boy. Over Same right. numbers, but for CW, like this is killing on, on Mondays. Highest rating they've had in six years so on Mondays. It's Monday. a marriage of uh, uh, audience. Yeah. 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 And, well, and it's. To take it back to comics, you know, you can hear somebody say that a book that sells X number at Marvel Comics is going to get canceled. But if it sells that number at Image, for and, instance, right, right. creators are making bank because the yeah. structure is completely different uh, for all kinds of reasons that I some of them I don't know. And some of them I do. <laughs> it's all uh, relative. Uh, Greg, what's a dream job in cartooning? What is something you haven't done yet that you, you still you would love done? To? I mean, really, the dream the dream is to reach a point where my work that I do for myself is, you know, completely sustainable. If I really want like the ultimate dream is if I could get to a point a la Adam Sandler making movies where I have enough scratch where I can just start making my friends books realities and just become an impresario on that level. Ah, Yeah. You know, just be like, Oh, all my, these guys I know who are super talented and don't have the opportunities or the deals that they should be getting. I'll publish them. I can do it, but you know, I'm not at that. Sounds like you want your own, your own label there. You want, you need your own publishing uh, company. I mean, again, I would, that would be amazing. I would love to be able to do it and be able to just, you know, if I can get, if I could become the, uh, the walking dead of the kid set at image comics, that's that, that is uh look, that's a very achievable goal. And it's a a niche that uh, is growing and needs something like this. And uh, I think you you got a good head start. That's, you know, that's pipe dream stuff, but that would be incredible. And then, and then I could be the guy who sort of shepherds in other stuff that I think is awesome or maybe doesn't have opportunities elsewhere. And that would be, I guess that might be it forward. Yeah. Or just, or just, uh, look, I'd like to make some money too, but if I'm in a position of, any kind of power influence, you kind of want to wield it in a way that could be awesome and not just hole up in a room, uh, William Randolph Hearst style or <laughs> citizen Kane, uh, Charles yeah. Foster Kane style. Sorry. I used the real guy's name <laughs> or I just admire that Adam Sandler was able to do that with, with that Netflix Happy deal. Not oh, even well, that. That, oh, Happy Madison. Right. Yeah. yeah. He just, he's like, I'm going to put all my friends in movies and they're going to be retarded and stupid. Yeah. And, and they uh, just, I'm just going to make what I want to make, you know, funny movies and he makes the movies he wants to make. And he like has enough success where he's able to, and then he can like bankroll something like grandma's boy, which is totally weird. And I love that like, movie. It's so good. It's, it's very entertaining, but it's a weird ass movie. It's a very weird movie. But then he has this Netflix deal where he's making these like just shitty movies, but it doesn't matter. He's already been paid. They've given him the green light and uh, he's just going. 
the do-over wasn't too bad. I gotta say, I did see the. Oh really? Scene. Okay. Yeah, I'll watch that one. I mean, look, I I've been a fan of Adam Sandler for a very long time. Yeah. I think he there are some misses in there. I think when he plays unlikable characters, the movies become less likable. Mm. Uh, like at some point, he started playing jerks, and I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, you got to go back to that Frank Capra thing you were doing, the lovable loser kind of thing. Yeah, like Mr. Yeah. Deeds is so charming, and and you know. Big Daddy and all these movies where he's sort of like a goof, but he's good at yeah. heart. And yeah. then it sort of takes a turn with something like Grown Ups or Anger Management. I think that was for me the first misstep was Anger Management. Yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, more recently, like Jack and Jill, which I oh, saw in the boy. theater. Yeah. Apparently, kids love that movie. Really? Yeah. I think it's like uh, I don't know why. Those kids should be killed immediately. <laughs> well, look, there is one reason to see Jack and Jill, and that reason is Al Pacino who. Uh, does not phone it in. He is amazing. <laughs> oh man! All right, I might have to. Uh, I might have to torture myself with that one. But dude, I was. We were big fan. We had his. I had his comedy albums back when he was on SNL. And, of course, uh, those were great. And uh, and yeah, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, some of the funniest movies I've seen in There's, a long time. They're he, they're great. They've they've got heart. I mean, he's. Yeah. I think he's incredibly funny. I've been a fan forever. Uh, so, but then like seeing what he did with the success, where he then. Created a production company and yeah, worked with the yeah. guys he was roommates in college with. All these dudes are pals, and it's. I just I like that idea of of you know. I mean, Kevin Smith that. kind of did the. It's like the Kevin Smith model. He's like, I'm just gonna my the our lingo with me and my friends is gonna be a universe, and I'm yeah. just gonna hire my friends and shoot stuff that we think is funny. I'm still yeah. waiting for this to happen. All right, one of the <laughs> <laughs> what a good Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> no, I'm waiting for no, that that is. <laughs> And like a uh, college, uh, some of my college uh, buddies. Hey, I'm going to give you a movie. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm waiting for that too. Go. Where Where are these people? <laughs> and then one last thing, I really wanted to ask for somebody yes. out there who's maybe a uh, a budding cartoonist, a comic book artist. The, you know, 20 years ago, you got to intern at Marvel. How do you break in now? What What is the path? Well, this is completely based on what I'm seeing and not from any actual experience because I okay. have no freaking clue. Okay, it seems like the way to do it is. Uh, if you have, it's all, it's all, you make a web comic, you make some kind of internet yeah, presence yeah, yeah. and, and basically that becomes your samples and you, you know, you make something, it's, it's sort of a different game. So the game used to be, you get a gig at one of the companies, you, you work your, you work your craft, you learn how to do stuff and then you go off on your own and do something independent. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the, we'll call it the Mike Mignola model. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So, or John Byrne or whoever, like that's or, or the image model. Let's yeah. The, ima the image yeah, model. It's the image right? model. Yep. Like all these guys work their, their craft. They all worked at Marvel and DC for a decade or so. I mean, Larson was working for DC and Marvel. Yeah. Todd McFarlane, all these guys. They got cred. They put in their dues. They got yeah. their credibility reputation. And they're like, you know what? We're out. We're starting our and, own thing. Well, then they took that cred and that, and that yep. audience that they built in the fandom and they went and did their own thing. Uh, so that used to be the way it worked. And now it seems to work the other way. It's reverse. It's reverse. You got to put your stuff out there. You got to build your audience and fan base and then it's hope weird, someone man. sees it and wants to, wants to go in business with you. That's it just weird. seems, but it's like, but like, that's the way to get a job to at, learn stuff. But how do you do it without having to know what to do? Like or even weird. beyond that, it's like, that's how you end up getting a job at Marvel and DC. But once you've made your own thing, what's Why the would, draw? Yeah. Right. Why would you want to work there? Unless 
Now, is it the thing where like, look, I just, I always wanted to draw Spider-Man. And so my, the whole angle, but you're right. When you already got your own thing, why would you even want to go work for a, a Marvel I, or DC? I, I'm not entirely sure. Huh? I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I think I'm, that's how you do it now. And I, and there's so many ways people are figuring out how to do their own thing. I, if you want to draw Spider-Man, I'd say, uh, try and find a way to do, uh, licensed work with Spider-Man. Cause then you'll be able to draw Spider-Man because if you're trying to yeah. draw amazing yeah. Spider-Man, the that's, chances that, are so yeah. freaking slim. That, yeah. 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 That's if you want to write Spider-Man, good luck. Yeah. You can pry it from Dan Slott's cold <laughs> dead fingers. He ain't giving up on that. Although I did see there's a new, uh, title coming out. They're going back to the Peter Parker. I think it's called the sensational spectacular uh, Spider-Man yeah, spectacular Chip Zdarsky Chip Zdarsky. Right? And he said, look, this is going to go back to the old school. This is, and I loved everything he said. I got really excited. <laughs> They're like, look, if you don't like the CEO fucking Tony Stark, Peter, we're taking him back. It's the same continuity. We're taking him back to the, the, the desperate Peter Parker fighting. Villain. And like, I was so, I was just, Geek I was like, yes, this is what I'm missing. Bring this back. I can't wait to pick this up. Is there anything that can happen in that book that will make you lose that geek boner? What in the new one? Yeah. Mm, only what, if there's. What's if the there, misstep? The misstep is him. Uh, you know, <laughs> him getting uh, tools from Parker Industries, and he's in a spider buggy, and he's speaking Chinese, and he's got to get to a, a board meeting. I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want. Just <laughs> give me some street level Spider Man stories. That's what I want to see. Okay. I mean, I, I, I won't, I don't read any of this stuff anymore, so I have no idea if it'll be any good, but I'm just curious what, what makes people go, all right, I don't like, I'm out. I'm I checking. stopped reading Spider-Man. Rug, Ruggs is uh, not a big fan of Dan Slott. I'll yeah, tell you I, that right I, The now. minute that he got on that book is the minute I left the book. Which, which, uh, was it a specific story or just the fact that he was on it, you're, you're out? No, I, I gave him a chance with Superior Spider-Man. I love that. I was all in and, on that. Uh, and I was like, no, guess what? Uh, Doc Ock <laughs> is not a Superior Spider-Man. <laughs> He's not. So, and, and I just wasn't on board with that. And I, I didn't like it. So I, right. I just jumped out. So. Right, let's, look, we all have a thing, man. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got a thing that, that breaks, the, breaks the, the pattern. I was like, you, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Another dude's taking over another dude's body. It's it's, it's his like, worst enemy. Yeah, but I mean, it's Spider Man. Yeah, and, and it's not something that's over in like a few issues. It was it went on for a long time. That was the most surprising and, thing. I didn't think this was going to be a long running thing. And then no, but it, it would have been fine if it was like a few issues. But it was like I'm like, okay, I miss Peter, and I and I really don't like this, and I really feel like that uh, he doesn't understand. Peter Parker at all. I was upset that they stopped uh num they stopped Amazing Spider-Man after 700 like it was done and I'm like wow this is going on. He's getting his own title. What is the end game? Uh I love the story and it was at the time I was like this is very different. Uh I'm enjoying this. But I was it's like I wanted Spider-Man to just keep going with its numbering system cuz that's it was at 700. <laughs> and then they just It ain't stopped. anymore. It ain't anymore. But now that they made him into like Batman slash Howard Stark, I'm like, I, 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 I don't. Yeah. And I then there was like, I also don't like, and I'm, I'm one of these proponents for, I hate when they, uh, make too many versions uh, or cast members that have the same powers or, or offshoots of the same character. It just sure. dilutes the brand. 
And he's been doing that. He's been Spider Verse. You saw the Clone Saga. We knew that that was already cheapening, you know, the Spider Man brand. And now you have the, you know, clones. Every Spider Man, you know, all over the place. Spider Man for everything. And it was just too much. I was like, no. Now you're like, how is Peter Parker special? Like, how are you going to distinct? Like. Like, you know, what if I want to know about this guy now and I want to know about that guy now. And like, why do you have to introduce me to that? <laughs> it's like being married to a, it's, it's like being married. And all of a sudden you find out that every Victorial secret model wants to well, fucking blow you. Like, <laughs> now I want to know what that's about. Like, I, I never had that opportunity. Now I want to know about it. And, and it's ridiculous. And now I'm like thinking, I'm thinking less of my wife because now I got a Victoria's Secret model that wants to blow me. And so lots like, of cock Is that what you're trying to say, Rugs? No, I'm just saying that you're this introducing feel, all this stuff. This feels cheapening. like a cloudy metaphor, but I'll, I'm, <laughs> I'm hanging on. It's a, listen, that's what you get with Rugboy. Oh, I love it. Uh, cloudy uh, metaphor. But I'm just saying, like, there were so many things that were diluting Spider-Man for me at that moment. Like, he had Doc Ock take over for Spider-Man, and then he had all these other Spider-Men from every fucking universe and every dimension. And I was like, Mary Jane was a spider person. Gwen Stacy is now a spider person. There's everybody's a Spider Man. So I'm like, I should be a Spider Man. I, <laughs> I want to start doing shit. You want a because pure uncut Spider Man? I get it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's just I feel like it's been cheapened to a point where I can't. I can't even. And that's my favorite book. Yeah. Right. So look, I haven't read a Batman comic in ages, and and I, you know, as a kid, I loved Batman. Yeah. Batman was always great, and I just. I picked them up now. I have no idea what's happening. There's like some yeah, new. The, like so the, many- the, the rebirth stuff is crazy. Like the Watchmen are now part of the DC canon. Yeah, that, it's all that, wacky. That bothers me on my on my uh, superheroes yeah. for kids uh, yeah. vibe because once you introduce the Watchmen, you have now. I often refer to the the darkening as they call it of superheroes as a vertigo backwash. Yeah, which is to say, the Vertigo stuff started getting some traction, or, or even yeah. before that, you get something like Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns, which gets a lot of attention because it does something different. Yeah, yeah. and then slowly but surely, that starts gets get, getting influenced into the main line of books, to the point where the main line of books are no longer kid friendly. They're not anything you can give to a kid. And now, once you introduce Watchmen into the actual continuity, yeah, like that's it. You you broke the machine. You know what? That but that was one of the things that got me back after Marvel's bankruptcy when they restructured and you started seeing these darker artists and writers. Like the Vertigo guys were writing Marvel books. I yeah. was like, "Whoa, this is nuts! I gotta check this out." As a reader who grew up with these characters, I love that. But what is there for kids to read now? You know, yeah. like you're 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 killing your main and just like cigarettes, you gotta hook them when they're young so that they grow up and keep reading, and then you keep going back. And hooking the there next was, generation. There was a time that what would have happened was you would have been reading the superhero books. You would have left for a while. And then you would have been like, oh, I wonder what's happening in comics. And instead of reading uh, Wolverine written by Mark Miller, you'd read right. whatever Mark Miller's Vertigo book was. Right? Like, you'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, this guy used to write this thing, and now he's doing a book over at Image. Let me well, see. Well, that's what that. I do. I, I don't follow characters anymore. I follow the writers now. Right. And Which I follow is, the artists. I mean, that's typically what used to happen. Right. In, in the olden days where you'd be like, oh, I like John Byrne. So, oh, he's doing Next Men now. I guess I'm going to read that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you'd go read Next Men and be like, oh, this is cool. I guess I am not going to read Fantastic Four anymore because this is like Fantastic Four written only better on a different scale. <laughs> yeah. Not better. Just it's different. Like stuff happens. If People you can die. get that. 
yeah. See, but that's the thing. I think Spider-Man is a very unique comic book, and it's it's a unique thing. It's 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 so you can, it's so describable. It's it's so like you know, it's got all of these. It's iconic. Yes, yes. it's you can describe you know the, the angst that Peter has of being a nerd and having to hide it, and then. He was actually a nerd, not like Clark Kent who pretends to be a nerd. Right. He was actually a nerd. So like all of these things that that are that just are so definable, it, it, they all get thrown away eventually when they kind of grow. He grows up, and I don't know. I feel like that the the core of what Spider Man is is not there anymore. Well, they have that Spidey Stories title, which is kind of like Those a one off. Yeah, and Greg, uh, I, it can be argued that you have more essence of Spider Man in picks than is in Amazing Spider Man right now. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I, I'm not going to fight you. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm going to stick to that. And that's why the listeners should check out picks. Greg, I want to give you a chance to plug everything. Tell the listener what's coming out, what they should do, where they can find you. Okay. So you can find me on Twitter, probably for the most part, if you want to see like social media stuff. And that's just my name, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. My website is hatterentertainment.com, H-A-T-T-E-R, entertainment.com. And that will take you, if you want, to uh, the, the podcast, Stuff Said, and Cruising Together. And Cruising Together is just a, a comedic uh, thing. Me and my friend Chris Giruso, who does the G-Man comics, uh, they did for Image Comics. Uh, we have watched every Tom Cruise movie. What? Talk- every single yeah. one. Every yes. single one. I got so have I. <laughs> nice. And then, and then we talk about them Sort of. I, I like to derail the conversations to just talk about anything. And we have different guests on. We've had some comic book guests on there. So if you want to hear comic book people being uh, goofballs, that's a place to do it. That sounds fun. Uh, and then and then the, the book picks. So One Weirdest Weekend comes out February 22nd in comic stores, February 28th everywhere else. And the second book, Too Super for School, comes out May 3rd in comic stores. And May 9th, I think, everywhere else, or May 10th, something like that. And that'll be in the, in the March previews. So that'll be on March 1st. You could start pre-ordering that. And I'll, I believe I'm going to post a page a day at pixcomic.com. Dude, this has been great. I'm not going to, I've taken up a lot of your time. Thank you so much. Uh, you are, anytime you want to promote anything, dude, you are welcome to come back whenever you want. Uh, I'd love geeking out with you. There's so many more things I want to know. We could go on forever. Well, when when picks two is ready to roll out, I will uh, we'll do it again. Definitely come back and listener. Uh, all the links can be found in the show notes of this episode at jockandnerd.com. Check out Greg's stuff. He does a lot of stuff. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Tell uh, good meeting you. Good meeting you. Tell Anthony he missed out on some real talk. That's right, Anthony. Real talk, Anthony. You missed it. That's right. Catch me outside. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks so much. You guys are awesome. I can't thank Greg enough for hanging out and dishing and telling us all those awesome stories about working at Marvel and self-publishing. It was full of info. The man is always willing to answer questions, which I love. Uh, So listener, definitely check the show notes, shockandnerd.com slash 153. Get in touch with them. If you have questions about self-publishing or, or more stories about Marvel or, you want a, a signed copy of Fast Lane? Oh, shit. I don't know if he has oh. that. <laughs> you know what the crazy thing about it was? Yeah. Is that the whole time he was talking to us, he was coloring pages. That's right. He was working on Pix Volume 2, coloring while the man is always producing. So it was great because he would have been sitting there anyways. And we got to like hang out and geek out and get some awesome stories yeah. and some awesome 
information. So, look, listener, what this is what you want to do. To help out Greg Schiegel and Picks, next time you're at your local comic book store, uh, request Picks. Ask for it. The dates again, February 22nd, Volume 1 comes out. And then the week of Free Comic Book Day, I think it's like May 3rd, Volume 2 comes out, which is great. Uh, but put it on your poll list. So I wanted to quickly shout out this post Daniel Nosker posted on our Facebook group. Uh, it's a video from Polygon.com. Uh, the video is titled The Best Way to Buy Comics. And this girl does a great job at breaking down the industry and the problem with the direct market and Diamond. Uh, she basically explains, you know, unlike the book market where retailers can buy a bunch of books on consignment from publishers, meaning if they don't sell the books, if it's not a hit, they can send them back for get some of their money back and all their money back. But this allows them to take risks, right, on independent things, on weird things. That's right. So they're not going to mind by ordering all the stuff. Now, with Diamond, if you're a comic book store, you have to buy all this shit up front like three months in advance. And if it doesn't sell, well, now you're stuck with all, all these copies. Yeah, of these books. it's terrible for business. It's messed up, right? So the best way to buy comics, the answer is actually it's not uh, clear cut. There's, there's two answers. One is for the consumer, one's for the creators. As a consumer, really the best way to buy comics is whatever is easiest for you. Whether it's in trades, single issues, digital, it doesn't matter. Now, if you're a consumer and you want to know the best way to buy comics to help the creator, this is what she says, and it makes a lot of sense. You want to request these books on your pull list because everything is counted up by pre-orders three months in advance, and then... Um, Diamond will feature it and then they'll get huge sales. Uh, so the problem with this is as a, as a, a comic book retailer, you're not going to take risks on, on independent stuff, on sm- on weird things you don't know because you're, you're now stuck with all that, unfortunately. Now, this is great for Greg. You know, he went from self-publishing to now being in Image and he was in Diamond before, but now he's going to be in Diamond closer to the front of the book. Geek Mooner! Which is going to help him, but put it on your pull list. Ask for it at your local comic book store. Check. I'll put a link to this video in the show notes, shockinair.com 153. It's a messed up system. And uh, I didn't even know, like, in the 90s, the Department of Justice was going to break up Diamond They, they were because they were being accused as a monopoly, which they kind of are. Yeah, absolutely. But it didn't go through because they felt like there wasn't enough money in the industry for it to matter. I don't know. Man, it's so... Uh, Whatever it is, it's fucking shenanigans, if you ask me. It is. So, you know, how do you... We love to support the independent creator, creator-owned stuff. Image is doing a great job with that. Do you do pull lists? I do. I have a pull list at uh, Pastimes, and it's been getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, mine is, like, microscopic. Yeah, it was huge, and now it's tiny, but you know what? I have a Filipinas. Uh, what? <laughs> it's a tiny Filipinas. But I'm going to go to my pull list. Rugs, you should go put pics in your pull list. For whenever it comes out. Okay. Uh, you know where else, though, is a great place to find independent comic books and uh, is our, our sister site uh, in England, a place to hang your cape. David Malofsky has been nice enough to carry our show, and he reviews independent books. He supports all these uh, creator-owned independent Kickstarters, and it's actually Kickstarter is another great place to discover books that aren't in the mainstream. And I wanted to give a quick shout-out. To another listener slash podcast guest we had, Jimmy McPike from episode 93 came on to talk about uh, uh, getting into writing comics. And uh, he heard us talk about uh, the fact that AP2HYC needed writers. Remember we mentioned they're looking for writers. 
Jimmy reached out and he's going to be writing for the site. Geek Mooner. Look, we're connecting, we're connecting geeks worldwide. Uh, yeah. So if you know, if you enjoyed the show and you're really into creating and you're, you're a creator and writer and you like reviewing uh, movies and TV shows episode by episode, visit for free. For, free, for free for practice, for exposure. It is a volunteer position, but all the yes. details you can find at ap2hyc.com slash write. As in the action, as in W-R-I-T-E, slash write. Uh, they're looking for some writers, and I know we have a lot of creative listeners, so. Yeah, get, you know, you gotta get your name out there somehow, so you might as well do it. Shout yeah. out. Talking nerd. Uh, so, Rugs, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter making fun of Dan Slot oh, constantly. Oh, boy. At Really Rug Boy on the Twitters. Listen, the last thing we tell you, listener, you know what it is. Tell a friend. Thanks for listening to the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Tell a buddy. Post this show on your Twitters, on your Facebooks, on your whatever the new thing is that uh, in the future when you're listening, whatever the next Facebook is, post it there. I don't know what it's going to yeah. be. It'll be like, think about it. Post it to your virtual reality uh, CGI world. That may be what we're... Just get it out there. Just get it out. Run up to the next person you see. Give them one of these. Jock and Nerd. And we'll love you forever. Thanks for listening. To the show, my name is Imran. My name is Rugberto. He's the rug boy. And he's the nerd. We'll catch you next time. Ah, uh, yes. I see that you know your judo well.